The following is a CSPN Media podcast presentation. The views expressed by the hosts and guests of the Comic Book Chronicles are the opinions of said hosts and guests. They do not reflect the opinions of the Comic Book Chronicles, the Click Nation, or the Coast Leather Podcast Network in any part. Thank you. Spoilers. Welcome to another exciting episode of the Comic Book Chronicles. I am your host, Roddy Cat, and you can find me at Roddy Cat on Twitter. You can also find me at News Notice Need on Twitter. You can also find me at uh, CB, uh, CB Caps on Instagram. The sound effects you heard have come from none other than one agent underscore seventy on Twitter and Instagram. What's up, everybody? Now, and weirdly getting fake FedEx uh, email is kind of weird. Um. I mean, right now? Yeah, I just got one that's like, thank you. I'm like, what? What? I don't... Okay. No. Anyway, um, this is the Comic Book Chronicles. You can find this here podcast on the Cole Slither Podcast Network. That's CSPN.us. Do it today. You can also find this here podcast on your podcast virtual place of choice, whether it be uh, Google Play, Apple iTunes, aka Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the pod or or the Cold Slither Podcast Network's SoundCloud page. And guess what, folks? We're also streaming on Twitch, uh, twitch.tv slash comic book chronicles. So hey to everybody over there. Um Yeah. Uh, every week we come to you live, direct, Thursday nights, all that kind of good jazz. But you know, Twitch. So what? I said, "What's up, Twitch?" Exactly. And we are going to start off this week. Um, why is this not showing up? All right, sorry, trying to do like five things at once here. Um, we're going to start off with the comic books of the week. Live podcasting. Yeah, that's <laughs> kind of what happened. Oh Lord. That's kind of what the thing that happens. Um, you know what? I'll get to that in a second, though. Whatever. Uh, we're going to start off with the comic books of the week, though. Starting off with Excalibur, number 12. Yes, that is the official, official uh, start to the Ten of Swords event. It appears to be. Cause I mean, it's prelude. So it's no longer road to or path to it's the prelude. So this is the, uh, the official start of the event. Right. Because, um, this is kind of one of those things that's like, well, it's not even that, but it's like, Hey, you might want to read this issue before you read this other issue. Definitely. 
because now you don't necessarily know that going into it a lot of times. It just happens to be luck of the draw <laughs> that you, you know, like I'm like I'm sure Agent 70 uh, has also did this week, or unless you, you, you know, you started reading X-Men and then roll back around. No, I definitely read Excalibur first because I knew it was the start to the event, not okay. knowing exactly how how it uh, how it worked out. But mm-hmm. it, you know, unfortunately, I did read it in the correct order as you alluded to. Yeah, like that one. It was just like it was just so happened to be like I'm going to read X Men last and then get to the other two first and then roll into that one and it just happened to be you know, a happy accident, sort of. Uh, so yeah, so X Men, tw- uh, excuse me, uh, X Men, um, Excalibur number twelve sees the team still in Overworld and still trying to get um, the gate open, which I believe they did do, but part of the team got separated because I think what Richter went into a gate that was like not powered. Um, Rogue and Gambit were somewhere in in uh, Saturnin's. Uh, is it Saturnin or Saturnine? I I've never never actually. Take that one down. Regardless, um, into her palace and found uh, a gem of interest to Gambit. And we found out that he actually knows what's going on with the thing. Right. He suspects he has a much longer relationship and history with Kandra or Kandra, mm-hmm. the external, as has uh, been laid out in previous uh, stories of Gambit's history. So. He is in the know when it comes to some of the um, intricacies and uh, idiosyncrasies of the existence of the externals. And take it from a longtime X fan, the externals have faded in and out of relevance, basically in and out of continuity, ever since they were introduced around X-Force time. So, you know, uh, X-Force number one time with uh, Rob Liefeld. So at the end of the day, or even the New Mutants, come to think of it, when Liefeld was on. But mm. at the end of the day, um, they proved to be somewhat relevant here, but only some of them make it out alive, and that is a minor spoiler. Well, I was about to say, relative, they they yeah are relevant here to uh, Apocalypse's needs, right? So, but yeah, definitely is the case, which you know. As you said, they kind of float in and out. They'll probably be back, maybe sooner rather than later, but we don't know. You know, I suspect that whatever happens in this issue is not going to come up come without any comeuppance. At some sure, point, I would sure, suspect. Sure. sure, I mean, I, you know, you're you're probably going to give a much more detailed recap, but ultimately, as we said. Uh, this issue should be read before the X-Men issue that comes out this week. Apocalypse is setting the wheels of the Ten of Swords crossover in motion. Mm-hmm. And I said, and, and just as I said earlier, the external serve some sort of purpose, though not the purpose anyone would expect. Right. Um, there's a, The only other thing I would add is that there's a couple of little things, or at least one or two little things that kind of happen uh, in the course of this, like, especially early on. Like... I don't know if this is going to come into anything or it's just, it was just a kind of a throwaway thing. Like when um, the summoner was talking to Rockslide and they were playing that game, quote unquote, and they were talking about uh, an extent of uh, Rockslide's power, which may or may not have been known. Uh, I was like, that's kind of a way to just drop in there like that. But then again, it could just be a, a, a one-off. We don't even know, but it sounds like something like there's not a whole lot of things that have come up later in these Xbox that don't really come back up again. Right. 
So this one is probably no different uh, until well, one of what happened in X Men. No, no. Well, no, no, no. I meant like well, I'm talking about you know the the beginning part when um, before Apocalypse comes in when he when they were talking right. to, when he was talking to Rockslide that part because essentially right what I was going to say is essentially what Excalibur number twelve and X Men number twelve are essentially you know that you should read them together kind of back to back but Excalibur first right so that because because the Rockslide uh, the Rockslide uh, snippet the little kind of vignette. Is in the uh, in X Men number twelve this week. Is it? And I don't remember seeing that. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, but yeah, um, I mean, like I said, because they're so intertwined. Because mm-hmm. literally, this, 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 the re, you know, without spoiling everything, right? Yeah. And I'm not going to ring the spoiler bell because I'm doing my best to really avoid spoiling how the Ten of Swords event kind of kicks off. But in very broad strokes, you know, we know that. Arako, the twin island of Krakoa, has you know kind of come into play and and become prominent, and a lot of the history of Arako and the history of mutantdom and mutants on on Earth has been kind of filled in you know with gigantic retcons by Jonathan Hickman. So um, we're getting some more of that in the X Men number twelve issue with uh, the Summoner telling more of the story of Arako. Actually, and, and yeah, what, you, and actually, yeah, I'm sorry, I need to correct myself because yeah, that stuff I was just talking about did not happen in Excalibur, but was in X X Men like you said, that the Rexlight bit. But it's still, but my point about it still kind of stands the reason where it's like, yeah, that's probably exactly. gonna come up someplace else. Exactly. So literally, literally, there's no like, I, I honestly don't fault you at all for 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 kind of mushing the two issues together because that's essentially how they're read mm-hmm. because you get um, what is apocalypse's i guess first goal of this storyline you know creating this uh this 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 permanent gateway mm-hmm. to other world and how he does that is very much uh, uh a surprise and definitely related to the externals again like i said i'm dancing through the raindrops here yeah but all that stuff is very much relevant in X-Men number 12. Right. So, Which you might as well say we, we're, we've just pretty much gone into talking about yeah, already. We just did it. So I definitely recommend for anyone who is curious about uh, 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 whether or not they want to jump into Ten of Swords, X of Swords, you have to read these two issues because I firmly believe you will be lost uh, without them. And I... Uh, before we move on, I'd like to pose a question, and obviously anyone who's watching, anyone who uh, is listening to this uh, via podcast or YouTube uh, later on uh, can let us know in uh, you know comments on, the, on, on uh, Apple iTunes, via social media, Twitter, or Instagram, what your feelings are on the momentum that the X line has, uh, has right now, uh, now that Ten of Swords is starting, whether or not you are as excited about this crossover as you were when a hox pox was unfolding. Mm. You know, I, I'm wondering if your local comic book shop is experiencing, and obviously some of this could be very much pandemic related. Obviously there, you know, there, 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 there are, you know, there, there's definitely like uh, 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 interconnecting uh, reasons for these things, um, 
you know, for, for, for a possible uh, downturn in sales for certain books, right? Mm-hmm. But I wonder if the momentum has kind of fizzled for the X line of books and people are kind of giving this, you know, not the side eye, but definitely with a, a questioning eye, a, a doubtful eye, whether or not they want to jump into this event or not. Right, like you people know. have started dropping books, and so like, like, yeah, I don't really care, but yeah, or, or some, something of the like, yeah, I, yeah, that is a curious thing. Like, I'm still invested. I, I assume you still are also, and and it, and we can also, and, we can and, assume uh, that um, our erstwhile partner Tim, uh, exactly invested. Exactly, Tim. Tim is an X Man fan. I'm an X Man fan, and Roddy Cat has. Uh, dabbled in x-men lore so i like some x-men every now and then sure exactly so you know we definitely we definitely each have uh, a wealth of knowledge to draw upon and and are kind of curious to see how this new event uh plays out so yeah i will uh, say i will say move before we move on uh that um i i was going to say that yeah it seemed like they just dropped this event fairly fast relatively but not really like um hotspots was at this point what almost going on two years yeah i mean think of it like like this like they really haven't well it would have been shorter i think your point would be valid had it not been for covid right because i think uh, due to the delay in release of comics we've had a chance to really digest what has happened uh since hotspox Mm-hmm. Some of these books have double shipped, right? Especially in the beginning. Sure. So even though we're up to issue number twelve, it hasn't exactly been twelve months of story. It's been more like six to eight, right? Yeah. Anyone in six to eight months, so it hasn't been quite a year. Maybe maybe a little bit more than maybe a, approximately a year since Hawks Pox had it been published on time. Had this been published on time, it would have been a little bit less than a year, maybe. Right. So, uh, ended so um it might have felt like it was too soon but now given the delays in publishing it seems like it's about time that they jumped into an event and i would add before we move on that i think they've that because hickman's in charge they've been uh leaving crumbs and laying totally and planting seeds for the story since jump right you know ever since ever since uh uh uh, the individual series started in the the dawn of X relaunch. They've been laying seed. They've been laying down uh, threads for the story. Seeds, all the euphemisms, all the metaphors. I mean, realistically, Hotbox, because there are some of the stuff that kind of kind of put kind of just kind of got nibbled on. Then you know, right. So yeah, you're right. So yeah, the only you know, the only thing to say about X Men Twelve outside of what we've been saying is like there was another reference. That may or may not come up, but it could be just me. Um, uh, there was a mention of uh, Apocalypse being the first mutant of the second generation of mutants, mm-hmm. and that is a that was a very curious statement because we, you know, if you know anything about Apocalypse and the the um, you know and his status in the X verse, like yeah, he is the first, you know, claimed to be the first mutant. <laughs> Shout out to right. But there's this Let's whole second generation. I said, shout out to Namor, who at one point held that title. Right, 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 right. Obviously, Apocalypse, Apocalypse being uh, 
the first mutant was definitely a retcon. It's also been said that Celine was the first mutant because right. she's been around for so long. But she's also an um, external, so... Exactly, exactly, exactly. And ultimately, you wonder if any of the characters who are in the 1 million BC Avengers are mutants as well. So uh, we'll see how you know this particular Marvel history retcon goes. Sure, sure. But yeah, but I thought that was a curious, uh, curious statement. That again could be a throwaway. It could be something leading to something. I don't know. Exactly. Um, and also the, the the last thing was like yeah, like the story that was being told by Summoner could maybe just me projecting, but could be um, something that might be running parallel to what the mutants are are, are going through or what about to go through. Uh, possibly with ten, uh, ten of Swords, or just in general. But the story is like, okay, this seems kind of some familiar beats, you know. So, as if to say, history plays out again, you know, in a different way. But I think right. that that might be the thing that we're going for. Who knows? So yeah, uh, that is X Men number twelve. We will move on to the last book uh, from the X part. Well, not the last book actually. Just next to last book uh, from, from, from the X books. Hellions number four. So okay, yeah, yeah. No, I, I get to the other one in a second. Um, right. But yeah, so basically. You know, hey, this is pretty much uh, the end of seemingly the end of the arc of this one. It's uh, or yeah, yeah, actually, no, no, it is because which is kind of weird. It's like four issues instead of five or six, but you know, it is what it is. Like Salak saves kind of part of the team, but then they go and and you know get everybody else, and then um, Headhunter and Havoc have um, kind of run clean up. Yeah, Scalp Hunter, excuse me. I don't know why I call him Headhunter. He's not going by Scalp Hunter anymore. He's going by Grey Crow. Yeah. Um, Although they call him John this entire issue. Yeah, except for one time where, yeah, where when that spear gets thrown on him, he calls him she calls him uh, Grey Crow. Uh, mm-hmm. And it seems like Madeline Pryor might not be around. <laughs> she won't be around next year. <laughs> oh, no! <laughs> Kicking that flavor in here. So... <laughs> What's funniest about this, right, is one, believe it or not, the Hellions team is successful in its mission. Mm -hmm. They actually take down one of um, Mr. Sinister's old clone or main clone factory at the orphanage where uh, Scott and Alex Summers um, were initially uh, broken up. Um, and, And Sinister started his observation of the Summers brothers. And... There also were therapeutic reasons for this mission as well, and we get a report on that at the end of the issue. So believe it or not, this hodgepodge, wacky, mismatched X-team seemingly had uh, a successful mission but still has very many uh, loose cannons and very many uh, kind of um, – uh, you know, what, what did I say? Loose cannons and... Uh, um, the Misfits. Uh, yeah, definitely Misfits. Definitely yeah. Misfits. They still have lots of their own problems to deal with after this mission is over. Right. But, yeah, like you said, it was a successful mission. And, uh, yeah, they... Uh, clearly there was something 
there was definitely something else that kind of came out of it that we may possibly get into at a certain uh, at another point uh you know given that mission debriefing and the beef that apparently nanny has with uh sinister right right and that. also go oh okay no, 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 uh which one did you have anything else to no, no, about no, nanny? No, that was it. i was i would just add that it's tough seeing havoc being treated like this but at the end of the day I don't know if you read the Mutant X book when he was kind of the lead character in that Mutant X book. That was actually a pretty long-lived series. I didn't. When he was like, you know, kind of dimension hopping, I think it was, or he was like in an alternate reality, I think. Hmm. Okay. So, you, you I don't know if you remember that. That was like a 90s I, thing. I actually don't remember that, no. Like, you say but dimension have, hopping stuff, like I remember Exiles and stuff like that, but, you know. Not that. Right. If, when you Google it, you'll be like, oh, that book. Mm. But um, I actually inherited, a, a, I think, a complete run of it. Never read it. It's just sitting in my collection. Right. Which actually, Literally brings, up a, right, which actually brings up a point from this issue because uh, Madeline Pryor, a.k.a. the Goblin Queen, kind of brings up, she kind of looks like she goes into uh, Alex's mind and I'm just like, well, what did they do to you? And it sounds like in the mission debriefing or something sounds like, and maybe, and this is something I actually also don't remember. So maybe this was something from back then or whatever, because me sounds like, or maybe this was something from AVX. I don't know. I don't even know, but I don't know too many, um, you know, too many interactions with, uh, Emma, Emma and, um, in, uh, havoc, but it's, right. it's mentioned that something was done to, to, you know, uh, Alex's mind, havoc's mind, now it could have been because like yeah he's broken just like the rest of the people, or it could have been what it seemingly sounds like, or and what is alluded to is that Emma may Emma Frost may have done something to him that she uh, just cleaned up at the end of this mission that she may or may not have cleaned up at the end of this mission. Right, those are definitely story threads that can be picked up uh, later on in the series as it moves along, but. Uh, this is proven to be a, a, an entertaining book. It definitely digs very deep into the well of X-Men history. Mm-hmm. You know, we're going back to Mutant Massacre. We're going back to Inferno, you know, in, in this book specifically. Yeah. So we're, we're, we're diving deep into uh, the 80s, uh, the 80s uh, version of the X-Men. So right. it's definitely in our sweet spot in terms of fandom. Right. And yeah, just, and just to kind of wrap it up on that, that uh, reference that I made earlier. Um, so yeah, like that Madeline Pryor gets taken out, uh, and the Kirk Owens debate, like spoilers, I guess, but debate on whether she should be uh, resurrected or not. Uh, right. And at this point, uh, like, like I said, go back to my reference. <laughs> <laughs> to get exactly. the to get the rest of that, exactly, exactly. All right. So yeah. So we will move on now to well, you pick a book, President Bartlett. Much next. You want to just wrap the X corner of the universe? Oh yeah, yeah, sure, sure, sure. Right. So there's Giant Size X Men Storm number one out this week, and it's kind of tough to describe. I'm being just honest. Yeah. When it comes to um, what actually happens in this book and. As a footnote, I would I would note that it's I think important 
for anyone who's trying to figure out what's happening here to have read some of the prior giant size X-Men one shots, mm-hmm. including the Phantom X book, including the Emma Frost book, including the Jean Grey book. I think it was also, well, it was, it was Jean Grey and Emma Frost. They were in one, they were, they were one. So I think it's in that book that we discover something is wrong with Storm as a result of some uh, some things that happened in, I believe, prior X-Books. So, yeah, that part I'm not entirely sure about. You know. So ultimately, without again, without spoiling the entire book, and it's a little on the convoluted side. I did read this last night, and I had a little trouble trying to piece together in terms of my own memory how we got to this point. Um Essentially, it's not that big a spoiler. It's been running, like I said, it's been, like I said, it's been running through these giant size X Men books. That Storm is slowly dying because she's been infected with the trans mode or, or techno organic virus. At least, specifically, a strain that's never been seen before. This is not Warlock, you know, this is not the Magus, this is something else. And over the course of these one shots, um, you know, several several stories have intertwined to tell um, the story of the creation of this particular uh, strain of the transmode virus and how it came to find itself mixed with storm. And without you know, without getting into all the details, we find uh, a way that the X Men have found that involves Phantom X and the world. That is that uh, artif- that that reality, that pocket reality that he grew up in, um, that Grant Morrison literally, you know, probably created while he was high. I don't know, <laughs> but you know, at the end of the day, um, at the end of the day, what we have is um, a story that seems to have a resolution and also seems to be a mechanism, a, a means to create and introduce a new character a new sentience that comes about as the result of the purge of this techno organic virus from storm so we'll keep our eyes and ears open as we move forward in the x universe i don't think this is going to be a ten of swords related development but you never know so we'll see how that goes uh you know there's different there there is definitely an open-ended ending at the at the close of this book. Well, I this is where I will jump in and say that no, we do know that there is something coming along the lines because we had a news article about it probably last week before last, and that I believe this is the, going to this is pretty much the catalyst of a big storm story that they're going to have next year. Right, but not Ten of Swords related. Correct. So yeah, right. so this is definitely a, a jumping off point for not just the new character, but something. In relation to, like the the to storm specifically that they're going to be doing next week in next year, we don't know necessarily right. what it is at this point. I remember, yeah, yeah, I remember doing that. I definitely starting to. It's starting to, uh, you know, the the memories are starting to uh, fall back into place. Yeah, and so. this is this is water. <laughs> just clarify that for you know. <laughs> I'm just. Just a little tired. It's been a long day. Some driving involved today, so yeah, fair uh, enough. Kind of. So yeah, so that's yeah. so yeah, that's that's pretty much how that rolls off with this. And um, yeah, like I just having to say, it would definitely be helpful um, 
going into this issue if you read a couple of the other ones, including like the the Emma Frost, Jean Grey one, which was the first one that came out, uh, Phantom X, and I feel like there was another one, but I don't know which one. Nightcrawler, but it doesn't really play a role. Mm. Right, it's not really. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, like like I don't remember anything from that Nightcrawler kind of playing a part, but it, there is definitely something that I guess going to come out of that one for certain. Whether it plays into this or not, who knows? But um, next, uh, oh, okay, never mind. Actually, now that I do remember something, if 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 that is if the same thing you're thinking about is the same thing I'm thinking about at, right now, I can see it. Yeah, but regardless, let's move on with our books to. Want to do Spidey? Uh, sure, sure. So we are in kind of a in-between space between issues, what is it, like 48 and 49 of the current Amazing Spider-Man run, which is essentially 849 and 850 mm-hmm. in the total overall issue count in terms of the legacy numbering so we have this and 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 roddy cat and i were talking about the reasoning behind marvel putting out uh, a one-shot that literally falls in between two issues why not just have it be uh, a regular uh, a regular issue in the continuity and the numbering of the regular amazing spider-man title right and we're talking about i have and we're talking about amazing spider-man the sins of norman osborne number one for clear just to be clear exactly no, exactly. I was I was going to say we have this one shot entitled "The Sins of Norman Osborn Number One." Um, we, the reason why that whole diatribe just came up, why I kind of pontificated on that, was because we're literally following right up on the heels of what happened in Amazing Spider-Man forty-eight. Mm-hmm. And you know, and this came out last week. We're it's it's literally like you know, jump from the last page of that book to the first page of this one. It's a direct continuation. And uh, again, we have the six one six spiders, um, you know, on the trail of Spider Man as he heads to Ravencroft to head off uh, the Sin Eater and his Sin Eating crew. Um, what is it that they call themselves? The Order of the Web. Ah, the Fellowship of the Ring. Exactly. <laughs> I, mean, I said the exact same thing in my notes, too. I was like, it might as well yeah, be I the Fellowship of the Ring. Yeah, I took it from you. I credit Roddy Cat with that. Um, <laughs> definitely his joke. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's definitely a, a kind of a funky thing that they call themselves. Again, I refer to them as the 616 Spiders. Um, well, I mean, you know, yeah, Gwen aside, but sure, yeah, that still counts. <laughs> right. Um essentially spidey is off trying to avert what he thinks is the you know he's trying to avert um the sin eater from taking out norman osborn the spiders essentially while not completely unanimous generally come to a consensus that they need to stop spidey from um from doing something that could you know essentially take norman osborn out of their hair you know literally wash that man right out of their hair right like that'll come nice um but uh, you know, as we go through the course of the story, we find out that Norman, as they, uh, as they, uh, Spidey and 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 the Green Goblin, basically, um, and that's a minor spoiler for what happens in this issue, make their way through the backup plans that Norman has in Ravencroft and outside of Ravencroft. Um, you know, we have we get these backup plans, and one of them involves 
someone who was a kind of a big surprise in terms of character. Yes, very I'm, much. Whoa. I was like, whoa, really? And I'll ring the spoiler bell because I actually want to bring up the name. So anyone who's looking to read uh, The Sins of Norman Osborne number one this week, uh, fast forward a little bit after I ring the spoiler bell in three, two, one. So, yeah, apparently for a while now, Ravencroft has been unable to treat a particular superpower villain. They haven't been able to get through to him in terms of therapy. And I am referring to none other than Kane Marco, the juggernaut. Yeah, that was and weird. I was pretty surprised. I thought they were going to spring. It, it's weird because it seems like this event is sort of not playing with the king in black. Hmm. And I thought that the King in Black stuff was dealing with Cortland Ca- uh, Cassidy, you know, like the the father of Carnage. Mm-hmm. I, I thought that would be the secret weapon that, that was being teased, but it turned out to be something else. <laughs> right. And it was the jump. And I was just like, whoa, okay. Same. You know, and of course, as I mentioned earlier, there is – a hint that, uh, and obviously, if anyone reads solicitations, you know that the return of Norman Osborn as the Green Goblin is imminent, as in the next issue in the Amazing Spider-Man run, as I said, which is going to embody, to represent the 850th anniversary issue. Right. And back to the order of the web, yeah, they're basically tasking themselves to stop Peter from, you know, from hurting Basically, stop freedom, stop Peter from himself, uh, right. in a sense, because you know Peter Parker has a sense of right and wrong, regardless of whether he, how he feels about uh, Norman Osborn. He's going in to help, you know, because he thinks you know that's the right thing to do. And they power out about him. It it's like, all right, nope, we got to go stop Spider Man. So we see them on the way to do that while while this other stuff is going on, and we find out, you know, all this other stuff we just found out. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure that's going to come into play in 850, aka uh, 49. But yeah, like like Agent 70 was saying, it's like we we couldn't understand for the life of us why this is coming out as a side issue and not just an issue. But uh, uh, Agent 70 basically postulated that it's probably because they might have been behind. Like Spencer might have needed X number of uh, issues, but you know, probably misnumbered or mis uh, misread how many he needed. I was just like, no, nah, this is probably just them wanting to get another bit of sales out of out of this, as as I feel like they have with some of those other ones. Because you would think that you know, given the title of this book, like this is going to be a treatise on Norman Osborn and try to you know um, do like some of the other ones did and kind of you know play with his background and maybe retcon a couple of things and just kind of give him a uh, um uh um. You know, humanize them, I guess, a little bit more, you know. But no, this was not that case. This was just straight up like, nah, could have been 40. This could have been 48, for all we know, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there is that. Worth reading? Sure. Because it's kind of directly, it is definitely, in, you know, directly uh, coming out of 48 and going into 50, as they just already said. So, you know what? But it's kind of sad that it, that it did like this. It's a side, you know, I, I mentioned this because I don't know if I would heartily recommend the Spider-Man run to someone who's interested in Spidey but maybe doesn't have the depth 
of knowledge in terms of the continuity. Hmm. I, I I think this, even though they do ha- they have done a decent job of laying down. You know, it's funny that you were talking about these one shots, kind of to goose sales a little bit. Uh, the Sin Eater story had that a little bit, you know, but mm-hmm. I think they needed that because the Sin Eater hadn't really been around in full for you know twenty plus years. Right. So I think that was necessary. I don't think this, you know, like everyone knows who Norman is. So um, in terms of uh, in terms of refreshing anybody's recollection as to how important that character is or what role that character played in a big part of Spider-Man's story, um, it's more necessary for the Sin Eater. Um, but uh, in any event, I, I still, you know, and I think of, I think it was PC underscore Dirt who said, you know, his son tried reading this and he just wasn't cap- wasn't keen on trying to pick, uh, keep up with it. Um, I've heard tell from other Spidey fans who are kind of on the fence about Spencer's whole run, about where this run is going and the story is going and kindred and all that stuff. I definitely understand. I sympathize. Yeah. So, you know, I, it's, I, I'm still not a hundred, a hundred percent sure about what I feel about this or how I feel about it. Yeah. And this is like, just still the beginnings of that stuff from what we're led to be led to understood, to understand, like, like this right. is just the opening shot. Like, then that's supposed to be, you know, there's some things just, just long running coming down the line with that whole kindred stuff. Um, yep. so yeah. And yeah, I've like, like, for the most part, I've enjoyed Spencer's run and some of those, uh, side, those some side one shots with the, the character of development of, you know, uh, some of Spidey's, uh, you know, uh, lesser known or, you know, um, lesser liked, or even some, in a couple of cases, joke, uh, villains, Right, you know, give them some good character development, and that ended up sometimes kind of, you know, coming back into the, the the story in a meaningful way. Uh, and this one, yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not entirely sure uh, about that, but again, uh, this kind of one of those things. Just like with those ones, like yeah, you could probably do without reading, but there is actually some good reads there. Uh, right. But at the same time you could just do the the standard issues and be all right because, you know, it's like, eh, yeah, this happened in this issue, but, you know, to give you a little bit more context on, on one thing or another, but it's nothing that's just going to, you know, not going to uh, hurt your reading that much. This one might be different. Because, uh, like I said, and... I guess we don't know until we won't know until forty nine uh, eight fifty um, comes out what next week or whenever that is, um, but I would suspect if it still plays along with what they've been doing, you shouldn't have to read this to get uh, a whole lot of. You shouldn't have to read this to kind of get any meaningful context out of eight fifty because I would like to believe some of that is going to kind of get addressed there also, basically. I think so. I think so. I would hope so, because that's, that's it's kind of been standard reason for 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 the run so far. Gotcha. That being said, we can move say, on. Do like two more books, and then we'll go to rapid fire. Yeah, sure. I was going to say one more, but sure, that works. Um, no 
let's get to the new one, number one for the week, actually. Sounds good. Iron Man number one. This so this is written by Christopher Cantrell Kentwell of uh, Halt and Catch Fire fame, not the white supremacists. I have to say that one more time. I don't know why I keep saying that. Um, uh, but he also wrote Doctor Doom previously. Uh, so yeah, he's got the the uh, armored uh, armored section of the of the Marvel universe locked down at this point. So this is pretty much taking uh, Tony and Iron Man pretty much back to basics. Uh, I as I say in my notes anyway. Um, if I could just go ahead and read that out, it's like outside of the car talk stuff. Uh, it says Terax is once again reduced to a couple of pages, which right, know, right at the beginning. Yeah, like damn, that's kind of sad because because Terax was a was a threat back in the day. Um, his relationship with uh, Janet Van Dyne, the Wasp, gets uh, taken care of. Although I don't know if that's something that kind of happened in Iron Man 2020 or somewhere that you know of. I'm sorry? Uh, the relationship, his relationship with the Wasp. Oh, I, I think this is where they tie off that particular loose end. Uh, okay, because yeah, I was like, that just seems like kind of out of nowhere, but like, I didn't know if there was something that was kind of leading to that that was in Iron Man 2020 or something. Well, but it was also inevitable. Hmm? Right. I, exactly. What I was going to say is there was no finality to the relationship uh, throughout the 2020 series or throughout uh, slot, the later end of Slot's run, I think this is just Cantwell tying off that particular loose end in literally four, pa- five panels. Not even probably uh, that. She just she just floats in like ah, it's over. Bye. And it's like okay, right. bye. <laughs> right, so right, right. so Tony pretty much liquidates his, his uh, stocks. He gets gets away from Stark uh, Stark Unlimited. He pretty much just like you know he still has money. Obviously, you know he. He's diversified his b- 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 bonds, as they say. Um, moves to New York, or I guess moves back to New York. Uh, buys a brownstone, buys a, a vintage car, which c- comes up, you know, car talk comes up a couple of times. There's a interesting panel with uh, Glory Grant uh, when he's driving along with Grant, Glory Grant that I thought was going to come into something like, is he seeing Glory Grant now? But man, that just happens to be a thing. Um, but moves to New York gets fast and furious and you know that's well he doesn't get so furious and he doesn't necessarily go that fast but he does get into a street rage which is street rage which is weird with exactly with a familiar looking bald-headed person well not excuse me let me rephrase that he it's a hint yeah yes he's hinting that he doesn't race that bald-headed person he races someone else who i don't know is going to come up again or not during the course of the series or not but Mm -hmm. um he races someone, and you, you know. I feel like you can, you should be able to guess the outcome of it, but you definitely another. You definitely might not. Um, and I, I will say it because I got it in my notes. You didn't have me. You didn't have your car. Exactly. Which exactly. wasn't there, but you can just feel it. Right, right, right. I almost had you. You never had me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, none of that was implied or said, but you could just, you could just feel it being there. Right. So, and I'm uh, I'm not the biggest classic car aficionado, right. but I I was just curious. I was like, wait a second, like where's this what coming is, from? So about a '78 Dodge Aspen stock, right? And he's racing an Elko, an El Camino. I'm like, <laughs> really, El Camino? Which also weird I'm, for for New York. I'm like, why is there an El Camino in New York? But then again, I'm not saying that it couldn't happen, but. 
No, listen. I listen. I have a I have a a family friend who has an Elko in oh, Brooklyn. Okay. So oh, it's okay. not uncommon, but it's still very, very much out of the ordinary here right. in New York. And going up to Amsterdam, Amsterdam Avenue in Uptown, this is Harlem world. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a fine street, uh, street race. Come on. You know, you know, like Upper West Side, Harlem world, you know, stretching through Harlem world. Mm-hmm. That's where you're going to get a street race, really? Right. So, yeah. See that part, I couldn't. I didn't know anything. Like, it was like I was like, that was just a street that was mentioned to me. I was like, I figured you could you could uh, put a little bit more light yeah, on that part. Exactly. I definitely have more personal experience with this. So, <laughs> but that being said, you know, uh, that part was kind of weird. But you, you can kind of see. I guess you can kind of see what they're going like. Like I said in my notes, they're kind of. It feels like they're trying to take it back to a classic Tony to before the movies, but kind of not really. Well, I think that what it is is that they acknowledge they they acknowledge that it's kind of an amalgam of the two, where they you know they deal with a lot of the stuff that um, we are we are familiar with from the movies, right? Which has been integrated into um, the uh, the comic book universe right. and the and the comic book character of Iron Man. But as you mentioned, Iron Man was originally an East Coast character, right? You know. Stark Industries was located on Long Island, mm-hmm. and there's a reason why the Maria Stark Foundation owned a mansion uh, on Central Park West or Fifth exactly. Avenue, wherever Avengers Mansion is, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, because they were based on the East Coast. So it's it's funny to see um, Cantwell really taking the character back to basics in that regard. And I'm actually kind of... I'm here for it because I have, I've already came out and said that, you know, Robert Downey Jr.'s version was fine for the movies, but it was still Robert Downey Jr. playing himself. That did not need to come back into the books. And I'm kind of curious as to where that's going to filter into the uh, Avengers proper because we know he's there now. But I'm kind of digging the fact that they're taking it back to kind of classic, not necessarily stoic Tony, but, you know, a, a more... I, I want to say calm or reasonable, Tony, but the, the, given armor wars, that's, that can't really be said either. Um, I think it's definitely an evolution of the character because I think what it is is that they acknowledge all that stuff existed and yeah. exists. Sure. You know, it's not a crisis where they're rewriting the character. Right. But they're kind of it's just li- kind of getting, getting the, them back to basics. Exactly. It's literally just an evolution of the character and they utilize the midlife crisis as a, as a, as a, as a means to, you know, facilitate, you know, that, that story being told like, right. Oh, you know what? I've gotten to this point in life. I've been this, I've been that I've seen this and done that. And wh- who am I? <laughs> what, where, where has it gotten me? Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, we have to note that, um, Patsy Walker, Hellcat is, um, yes, I was going to get to that from Hellstrom. Um, to, uh, to, to occupy the redheaded, uh, love interest, yeah, we don't know if that's gonna. I, I kind of doubt they're gonna go with there with that, but it's quite possible that it could. I don't, I don't know. That's a weird pairing, but also sure, I can see it. Um, but yes, they, she, so Pastor Walker does come into this, and there, there is a Hellcat uh, Iron Man team. But also, um, speaking of uh, Iron Man, so one Iron Man was on Twitter up until the end of this issue, which is kind of funny seeing that stuff. Uh, you know going on there and then you see him and then you know trolls are going after him but also 
we get a let's say a new take on an old armor right and i am very curious about whether agent 70 is going to want this figure or not well you know what's funny is that it's cool i actually like the idea that they brought back the briefcase idea of Mm -hmm. transporting the armor around although i definitely like the fact that you know we we did away with that story trope of oh I need to get to that case because my armor's in it. That used to be a big big Iron Man story trope, mm-hmm. you know, like separating him from the briefcase that had the armor in it. Yeah, and I hope that that doesn't come back fully. Um, I definitely do like the retro um, the retro aspect of the armor. It's really you know it's really got subtle subtle. Uh, uh, changes, you know, it keeps the Golden Avenger motif going, and it definitely separates this character from the the MCU armors. But hopefully, the roller skate skates show up. But I very much doubt it. <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. And it's not the sense uh, of Silver Centurion, although I would have liked to have seen that. But again, that's just me. Uh, but you know, this version of uh, a classic of. Some would say the definitive definitive armor, you know, uh, as classic as it is. Right. Uh, One note, was it which which Iron Man movie did they pull that bit that, you know, like, I want to introduce a new tech to you. What was it, two or three? That was totally three. It was three, right? Because it was pretty much extremist, but yeah. Right, that's it, that's it, that's it. I was just like, oh, okay, this sounds very familiar. Mm-hmm. Like, very familiar from the movies, familiar. Yeah, totally. It was totally three, which three is, three is not a good movie. Um. <laughs> I mean, listen, three three had a lot to deal with post-Avengers, so, um, and and it's not like they were going to kill him off in three. Right. So that's, that, I think, was the, one of the, the big problems, along with the Mandarin. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, um, mm-hmm. You know that's you know it it it, it bears noting that um, it's important to note that uh, that particular aspect that that we all noticed you know is similar to the events of Iron Man number three is essentially the catalyst for the story and, and the story moving forward in terms of something uh, something new some form of technology that uh, someone uh, has mastered and is going to utilize against iron man well yeah ends up utilizing now we don't know if it's for the same reasons but we do know is well let's put it this way it is it is hinting at a person that we haven't seen that especially iron man hasn't seen or if you're an avengers um if you're an avengers uh, person of a certain vintage hasn't seen in quite a while now granted this character has come up not necessarily recently, but in the past, like once or two, twi- once or two times. Who um, Zodiac? Wait, no, I think that's supposed to be Korvac. Oh, oh you talking about unicorn? You talking about a unicorn? Unicorn? Had, oh. Yeah, the unicorn hadn't been around in a while. Yeah, so see, so yeah, they do end up fighting unicorn, which is one of uh, Iron Man's old villains, and it sounds like that's gonna. This is pretty much setting up that a lot of his old villains are gonna be come back into play. Uh, if, right. in this arc, if not in this volume, but yeah, at the end of this issue, and sorry, spoiler alert. So it sounds like it, we looks like we're getting shades of Korvac uh, from the reveal of that person. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Or at least I that's mean, what it seemed like to me. I mean, didn't they do uh, which one called? Didn't they do a, a, a tease about that? And, and didn't they say that Korvac was going to come come back? Probably, yeah. 
Like there, that's it's, did a new story about it. So probably like there's yeah, there's definitely has been something, if not in something else, you know, like an earlier book or something else. There was something. There's some shades of this, but we did not know when. And the same like this is pretty much when it's coming in proper. Mm-hmm. So, like the people who you know, people who are not familiar with the character probably would not know who that was. Um, right. but like I said, it's kind of a long-standing uh, Iron Man slash Avengers um, cosmic character. Right. I definitely need to go back and read uh, the Corvax. Like I've only read bits and pieces. So. Hmm. And yeah, I think I, I I definitely read that, but it's the stuff that came after that where he where he where he comes back. I don't remember reading so much of. So that's probably a thing I might end up doing at some point. Got it. Depending on whether that's going to play into this or not, we'll see. But yeah, so that's that's um, that is Iron Man number one. It's a potential click of the week for for me. Um, okay. Weirdly enough. Uh, but yeah. So now, I guess unless you got another book you want to throw out, we can go into rapid fire. No, we can totally go into rapid fire. I'll spin it up. Rapido Fighter, Fighter, Rapido Fighter, Rapid Fighter, Rapido Fighter. That's a new video game, fighting game. Catch it. I was going to say that it seems like you've got maybe a few more books than I do this week. So mm-hmm. let me see if I can knock out the few remaining books that I have. Yeah, and I think we've got a couple in common, so it'll, it'll work out. Okay. Um, first is one that I don't think we have in common, and that and that is... Captain America number 23. True. Uh, in this issue, Ta-Nehisi Coates undoes some of the Dimension Z side effects on Sharon Carter. That's a big spoiler, but we knew that this is where this book was going if you've been keeping up with it. The story is told from Sharon's perspective as she deals with what she has lost and what she's gained as a result of those adventures in Dimension Z. That was the Rick Remender run, which was really uneven for me. Um... Next up is Immortal Hulk number 37. We do have this in common. Uh, let Roddy Cat comment on this because the only thing I would say in a very brief summary is that um, what we get in this book are a recap of the leader's appearances in between panels of previous parts of Al Ewing's story. Um, and... You know, that those are revealed, and apparently, after all is said and done, the leader's plans seem to be coming to fruition. And I'll let Roddy Cat chime in with, with his thoughts on this. Yeah, that, everything you said, it, it checks out. And I was the only thing I will add is just a couple of things that, that happened in the midst of the story. Like when I saw that red door, I was thinking, wait, is it going to be a Red Hulk thing? It was like, nope, you just can't go through that door. Um, right. and, and it made me think, I was like, yeah, where is Red Hulk at this point? Um, which I'm sure that's, that's something that's probably going to be addressed before the series ends. Uh, then, I suspect so. Yeah. Um, then the, and also there was a, a, a He-Man reference that the leader makes, which kind of, was kind of funny to me in reference to uh, Doc Sampson. Right. That was kind of amusing, and it seemed like uh, yeah, Gamma Flight might be catching on to, to. Well, it seemed like they might have been catching on, but they don't. Obviously, there's a bit of it they did not know about, especially with the Rick Rick Jones stuff. Uh, being taken over by the leader and whatnot, and I guess at the end of the issue we get like Planner, Planet Hulk leader. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, that was a good issue. Next, yeah, go ahead. All right, next up, Thor number seven. 
this is a strong, 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 strong contender for potential click of the week in this issue. And without spoiling everything that has happened in the first six issues of Thor, uh, Thor and Beta Beta Ray Bill mend fences. And we get more information on what has been troubling Thor. And spoiler alert here, I'm going to ring the bell because this is kind of important. We get more information on what has been troubling Thor and Mjolnir, and he's said this over the course of the first six issues of this book, and Mjolnir becoming heavier for Thor, but apparently not for everyone else. So um, this issue begins with Thor throwing Mjolnir into Broxton, Oklahoma, and if that location sounds familiar, it should. Because we're going back to fear itself, pre-fear itself, when uh, Asgard was literally sitting on top of Broxton. Um, we're dealing with the uh, with with um, the resurrection of the Asgardians post post one version of Ragnarok, and Thor bringing them all back. So um, this was a pretty entertaining issue. I'm really enjoying, at least. As a as a longtime Thor fan, and I obviously have very, you know, there's sweet spots to this particular uh, character story, and obviously it, it it starts with Simonson's Thor, and anytime you throw Beta Ray Bill in there, and you uh, and you have Thor and Bill, you know, really doing the whole brotherhood in arms thing, brothers in arms thing, it's, you know, it really hits you in the feels, so. I definitely appreciate this, and it definitely keeps things very current um, because, you know, Bill was in this book just a few issues prior to this, and, you know, we get a little bit of follow-up in terms of, uh, you know, how their relationship is uh, being treated in this book. So, ultimately, this is a, a big, big contender for Click of the Week for me. It's one of the hottest books out there because everyone thinks Kate's is about to introduce some more kind of hot characters. Um, I just like it because it really, I think it really, um, you know, is, 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 uh, a, a nice little follow up to Jason Aaron's like epic, epic run on Thor, which is really second only to the Simonson run. And because, uh, Kate seems to be utilizing a lot of Simonson's run, uh, in his, you know, we were, we're only seven issues in, it just seems like we are in for a treat. And I'm really enthusiastic about reading Thor. There's definitely a lot more people on the Thor bandwagon, believe it or not, um, when it comes to people like adding this to their pull list. Mm. So before you go into the next one, I wanted to ask a, well, I guess comment and ask a question. Because um, sure. I, I was going to say, I was going to have a say a fair self joke before you mentioned that. So I'm glad you said that. Um, because oh, I'm what? like, huh? Oh, I, what joke? Uh, fear itself joke. Oh, fear itself. Okay. Yeah. Before you mentioned when you when you mentioned the the box and stuff and whatnot. Before you said that, I was going to mention a fear itself joke. But I was like, didn't have we've seen the hammer getting heavier for Thor before? Now, granted, most recently it was because you know he was infected by the brood and that reason. But I feel like we have seen this before. So I'm from what you're saying, sounds like. Cases, you know, just kind of using that as just to kind of 
go somewhere well, slightly differently. Yeah, exactly. It's it's a it's a twist on a on an old theme because it's not necessarily and 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 they actually touch upon it in this issue. It's not necessarily that he's unworthy at this point that there's something wrong. Right. Uh, because obviously that was a huge part of Aaron's run. You know, we get the whole, you know, unworthy Thor and Jane Foster Thor out of that. Mm-hmm. So um, this is a twist on that theme, and I'm definitely willing to see where this goes. Cool. Uh, lastly for me is Batman number 99. We are almost at the end of the Joker War, and this is the story's penultimate chapter. Batman and the Bat family start their counteroffensive. The Joker fully intends to take full advantage of – I didn't mean to say fully twice in the span of four words, but um, – he intends to take full advantage. I'm going to amend my notes because that just that's bad sentence structure. The listen to me, right? The Joker intends to take full advantage of the bat toys that he still has at his disposal, despite the fact that Batwoman in a different book has um, led the GCPD um, to kind of shut down the the Joker supply of Wayne Tech um, uh, technology and weapons. Um, Harley herself wants to end the Joker and the Batman still won't let her even after this latest murder spree from the Joker so we are almost at the end of the Joker war so we will see how this wraps up in the next issue of Batman appropriately this volume's Batman number 100 man imagine what would have happened if they let King uh, finish his run they could have just started Joker war oh goodness gracious Anywho, uh, for myself, uh, yeah, I'm just going to do this. There we go. And pop. Yay. Um, Arrow number 11, which did you not, did you get to read that or no? I, I did not get to read it in full. I, I started reading it and then just kind of skimmed it to see what's what. Um, I know broad strokes what happens, mm. but go ahead. Yeah, well, I won't spoil it for you then, because it's really it's it's not that much to it. I just found it kind of weird in a sense because, like, right off the bat, when so this is coming off the heels of the is, last issue where um, Arrow lost was losing her powers in mid flight. She was free falling. She got saved by Iron Man, and she just promptly tells him her. So what? Oh, <laughs> nice. All in. Uh, sorry, about <laughs> No problem. No problem. <laughs> um, but she just promptly tells Iron Man, "Oh yeah, here's my secret identity. This is my secret identity, and I'm Arrow. And here we go. Team up time, which they do. Which exactly. I, that part I enjoyed. But uh, the other weird part about it was like when they when they landed and they landed on the street where you could see people. You know, like they they were clearing out, but they were there. So I'm sitting here like she just changes into her outfit like right there and just in the middle of the street. Now granted, I think it is, you know, uh kind of alluded to later that the streets have been cleared. But at that time, like you could see like a panel right before or two right before that. Like there were people like right there. So they could have I don't know, that was just a little nitpick for me, but it was oh. like Well go ahead, go ahead, finish up. No, it was just like that's just a nitpick for me, but I know it's is it's probably end up being like, no, nah, nobody saw it because they had already cleared out by that time. But it was like you just go ahead, you just go from just giving up your secret identity to Tony Stark, which granted he's a known figure, whatever, but um, to just, you know, just changing out in the middle of the street like that. Like that's low, seems a little careless. 
Right. I was going to say one of the side effects of me being tired is that sometimes the references to music come fast and furious, no pun intended. Okay. All of a sudden, apparently, Arrow forgot that the streets is watching. So <laughs> Nice. <laughs> like I said, I am exhausted. So it's, uh, it's funny how, uh, how quickly the music references come uh, when, when uh, you're just, you know, kind of exhausted. So That's fine. I mess with uh, and I appreciate them both. <laughs> What's next? So yeah, so that's pretty much that. But it was a good. I, I like the team up, and it's, it's going to continue next uh, next up uh, issue. Star Wars number cool. six. Uh, Luke's get out. Luke gets out of the trap that it, that was set for him by presumably this former Padawan. We still don't know entirely. Well, we do kind of sort of know because we get hints of that here. He finds out a little bit more about. Uh, so we're. I don't know. Weird thing about it here, and I guess it's probably not that weird, but because not really that many people knew that Anakin and Darth Vader are the same person, and apparently this person, through some secondhand knowledge, did know. So Luke finally finds this out, and that's how he ends up knowing that his, you know, his dad's actual name. Or I guess he probably knew that before that, but regardless, he gets a little bit more on that. But he does in a way, finished the test that uh, set him to find this woman, which leads him to a Jedi temple set that was from an old Jedi outpost that was set from the High Republic uh, era, which is an era that is being introduced right now in novels and um, and such. So this is, I think this is the first reference of the High Republic in the comics uh, mm-hmm. so far. And he ends up, uh, like I said, he ends up pretty much getting something from there. Not necessarily what the exact thing he was looking for, but he ends up getting something from there. And there may or may not be a possible Rebels. I don't know if you plan on reading this, but um, there may or may not be a Rebels reference in something that shows up when he goes to into this temple. Okay. Uh which it would not be in the same place, but it's something similar to to that, or it could be something that's floating around. We still don't know how Vader got a hold of this that, that, that I know of. But regardless, that's that, and um, Luke ends up going back to the fleet, who's still having figure, who's still separated and trying to get away from Vader, who's uh, eavesdropping on their communications, and they're trying to looks like their their plan of action is going to go into effect next next uh, issue on how to deal right. with that. Uh, Star Wars. Before, Star, go ahead. Sorry. Before you go into Darth Vader, just a yes. quick question. Uh, your thoughts on this? Uh, would you happen to know if um, the number of people pulling Star Wars comics has, you know, kind of cooled off as a result of the, you know, fewer movies coming out now? Or you know, like now that the the main series of movies is kind of uh ended and we're getting tie-ins you think we're getting more um hmm. uh you know like a uh like a a decrease in in interest uh i i would have to look at some numbers for that but i can safely say that i feel like the, the pocket of folks who are just going to be into this anyway are still buying this book uh and granted that's a that is a pocket because like, you know, there are people, the subsection of the star Wars fans that are into the movies and the comics and everything else are probably smaller than the folks who are just into the movies or whatnot. Uh, mm-hmm. or, you know, so, you know, star Trek, star, Trek, star Wars fans who are into the, the lore and everything and everything about it, they're 
their numbers are small but mighty. Actually, they're big but mightily enough. I just don't know that many of them, but I know a couple here and there. That said, I don't really mm-hmm. know without seeing too many numbers, but from what I'm gauging uh, from the couple of people on my timeline, they still are with it. Okay. So that's pretty much as all I can I can attest to without seeing any like numbers, you know. All right, cool. In, in other hobo. Right. But uh Star Wars, Darth Vader number five. Uh Vader gets another clue in Padme's tomb and pretty much tells Sabe to go tell everybody to catch him outside. How about that? Uh the Amadalans. Oh, no. Huh? Oh no. <laughs> I don't know why I made that reference, but I had to because this is totally in my notes, folks. And you can read the notes on this in the show notes, uh, by the way. Anyway, um, the Amidalans answered the call as we get glimpses of uh, sometime around or after, well, definitely around episode three because uh, during this whole time, like uh, in the last couple of issues, Vader has been pretty much having prequel thoughts, you know, of things that happened in the prequels. Um, and this is to the point where. Um, episode three happens and like what happens with uh, Padme at the end and his involvement with it. And it, of course, Obi-Wan comes in and his involvement with things. And this seems like this is the, the end of the arc with the exception of probably what's going to, happen. I'm not sure of what's going to happen next. Um, next issue is tied into the tied into this arc or like, um, pretty much is going to be the, the catalyst to start off the next arc. I'm not entirely sure, but this seems, it seemed like this is, this kind of wraps up that journey, but he's going to have to go back and deal with the, the um, uh, some comeuppance by the emperor from what the last page tells. Not necessarily couple up, but the, the emperor who's probably been watching this whole thing is, feels a certain way about the resolution, I guess. And decides to, to, uh, give a little shock treatment probably to Vader. We don't know, but that'll be next issue. Uh, Teen Titans, number 46, Teen Titans. So after the events uh, uh, in Teen Titans annual number two, uh, the separate members of the team find themselves back to each other. Sans, Robin, Damian, Damian Wayne, cause he's off doing what he is. There's speculation that he's a clown hunter. Who knows? Who cares? Um, but they are pretty much brought together seemingly by Damon, at least that is, that is the thought, to kind of um, to get them back together for, as one as one character says, for redemption purposes, possibly. Or as another character who comes in to play uh, Red Hood says he's just trying to get you off of his trail. But regardless, Red Hood pops in, kind of gives them a hand because they fall into a trap. Uh... And then they go and try to finish the job they started on that front and end up finding Superboy, who for some reason is back from the future again, uh, who I think we saw like probably about three or four issues, two or three issues uh, back in this book. So we do know this uh, book is coming to an end uh, relatively soon. So this is pretty much going the way of wrapping up whatever, whatever. We'll see where it goes. Uh, Injustice, Year Zero, number six. The Joker uses Alan Scott to gather some uh, info and infiltrates the Justice Society headquarters and causes a little bit of havoc and comes and, well, I guess finds out the easy way that Alan Scott has a power limit that um, 
that uh, that kind of ends up working out. And sounds like Batman might be on the trail, uh, given what happens in the uh, the beginning of it, because we basically see what happened. Well, the end of what happened, but then we go into how things got to that point uh, in the issue proper. So if you did not know, this is like, again, this is Injustice Zero One. This is before the events of Injustice, the video game and the, the comic book series. Uh, the Joker's got a hold of some power source where he can control folks. And he took control of Alan Scott um, for nefarious reasons. And uh, he seems going to be going after the Justice Society to get to Batman and the Justice League. Sounds That's for what it sounds like. And that, folks, is... My books are my books. All right. That means it's time for Clicks of the Week. It is. And we got our um, clicks from our absentee partners here. And we got, let's see, Detective Comics number 1027 from Dirt. And Hellion's right, number... Big anniversary issue. Was it the thousandth issue of Detective, basically, of mm. Batman? Which is weird. In- Right. Oh, right. Because that's right. Because Detective, you know, because he wasn't in Detective for a while. Yeah. Right. Which, by the way, uh, I'm going to take this time to to uh, note that uh, Batman Day is coming in two days as of this recording, the 19th. Uh, so there are some comic books that are out there right now for free on Comixology. Uh, I believe three. One included uh, Curse of the White Knight, number one, and a couple other books that is out there for free that you can get. Uh, in time for uh, Batman Day. Cool. Uh, but anyway, uh, and for Tim, Hellions number four. Interesting pick. Yeah, no. Which it was good, but yeah, sure. Um, I can. I should have asked him. I was curious. On, I should have asked him his thoughts on it, but knowing Tim is a big X fan, and I'm sure this makeup of the team is a kind of, you know, a weird one in any respects, but I can see some compelling reasons for this pick. Uh, sure. do, you, do you have yours? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know, I spoke effusively about it. It <laughs> is definitely going to be Thor number six. Wait, six or seven? Or seven, that is. Thor number seven. I wasn't sure if we were up to six or seven. Yeah. Not a problem. I was about to say, wait, it was, yeah. all, it was like, I saw your notes. I'm like, am I missing something? Okay, but that's fine. Yeah. Thor number seven for you. And I think I'm, yeah, probably shouldn't be surprised. I think I'm going to go with uh, Iron Man number one. Cause nice. I'm hoping it holds up and I'm hoping they, I don't know. I'm kind of curious of what they're, what they're going for here outside of trying to get Tony back to, back to basics. You know, hopefully this is going to, maybe there's going to be a circus Maximus comes out of this. And he's going to get his groove back or something. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, sans, you know, uh, any Morley's blowing up or, or, you know. Well, as far as we know, wait, is Clinton Nestor still around? We don't know, because I know his, her, her brother did. Maybe Happy Hogan will come back? I don't know. Oh, Clementra. Clementra, yeah. yeah. I've always, fucked up. I've always messed up that name. Yeah. <laughs> Who is she again? I remember the name. I don't remember the character she, that well. So, she was... I don't know if she was his... If, Tony's personal assistant, but she was definitely she was kind of the pepper before pepper, but she was a little bit more than that. 
put it that way. Well, Miss Arbogast was like. Well, she, the, the he, yeah, Miss Arbogast was definitely his secretary. Right. But Clee kind of, Clee had a role, you know, that's kind of like a little bit more closer to Tony than, than that. Cause it was, cause it was her, her right. brother Morley. Oh, no, excuse me, her brother, I can't remember her name, but their last name was Morley. But, um, and Happy Hogan was all there and Pepper was in there somewhere around or ended up in there somewhere, you know, and of course, you know, got taken, one of them got taken out by Iron Monker or at least a bomb. Anyway, that's that's classic Iron Man stuff, but and that's kind of a joke that probably is not going to happen. Because uh, I, again, I don't oh. know where she is at this point. Or Miss Arbog- Arbogast, for that matter. Because didn't she work for Stain? Did she work for? I don't know. Like, didn't she end up working for Parker Industries at one point? But I, I might be com- completely wrong about that. Listen, th- there's a lot of history that we are delving into that. You know, needs Google and in a hot move to kind of you know figure out. Right. For all those those, those people yeah. could have been taken out at some point. We just didn't know. But regardless, yeah, Iron Man number one for me. We'll see where it goes. And the whole Hellcat situation's kind of interesting. I'm kind of hoping they don't go the love interest route, but it's probably going to happen. I was about to say, considering that they just had him uh, break up with Janet in four panels. Yeah. You know, with the walk. Yeah, but that doesn't necessarily mean he should get back into, you know. Let's face it, there's been right. enough redheads in his life that he should, this, she should probably stay away. Like, let's, hello, Bethany Cave. Cave. <laughs> um, exactly. You know. you know what's funny? It's funny that you mentioned, you know, kind of like an offbeat love interest. Like, remember when uh, they were attempting to have, I want to say it's all during slots run. Where Slot had in the Spidey office decided to have Peter Parker kind of hanging out with superpowered or at least superset uh, women, where for a brief time he was dating Mockingbird, and for the briefest time he was uh, trying to get with Captain Marvel. Yeah, I'd with never. Uh, maybe maybe that's just me projecting, trying to block that out. But yeah, the the Mockingbird did I do remember, and the Carol thing definitely. But I was like, he is not trying to do. They're not doing that. They're not going to put those together. They tried, I or know. at least they. You know, it was like a fling. It but felt it was like kind it, of yeah. Fun. Yeah, it was kind of funny. Like, wait a second, these you know this dude and and I guess uh, Tony Stark has a thing for redheads as well. So <laughs> I mean, yeah, you know, as the black cat has been wont to say, exactly. You know, like that, but I mean, but really, but really, there hasn't been a whole, whole lot outside. Of, I mean, like, like Bethany Cave, there's, um, uh, there's, I mean, he didn't really mess with Mary Jane like that, but it was definitely a figure in his life. Uh, but I'm trying mm-hmm. to remember, there's someone else I'm trying to figure because outside of that, is the other people are like blonde or dark haired, Madam Mask, yeah. she's dark haired, um, yeah. I mean, Kathy Dare shot I'd him, she's Pat- blonde. Right, I was gonna say Pep is supposed to be kind of like a strawberry blonde. She was, but I think yeah, yeah, she is. So yeah, I guess that does still count. Um, I was about to say, didn't they change her hairstyle at some point though? I think so. Yeah, and not. And I mean, I'm thinking before the movies, um, because obviously you know (laughs) Gwyneth was blonde. Or wait, wait, now I'm now I'm. You know what doesn't matter? I think she's she's a red. Yeah, that's what I'm not, I think I might be wrong about that because I could have sworn she was blonde in the movies at one point, or maybe I'm just tripping. Regardless, it, none of that even matters. Um, the point is, is, yes, there were a few redheads in his life, but probably 
you know, less as significant in, in a couple of cases as as uh, Peter. But still, right. hey, it's a redhead. What you going to do? Who doesn't like a redhead? <laughs> that being said, um, what's that? Apparently, those are blondes. As a Captain America, apparently. But. Yeah, well, yeah, well, you know, Cap's always been, you know, <laughs> Cap's always been special. There's like, there's that one, one brunette, and the rest have been blondes. Oh, yeah, that's right. Exactly, exactly, exactly. Bernie, Bernie Rosenthal. Yes, 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 mm-hmm. yes. During the Mark Grunwald era, that's right. Well, I was also thinking Peggy, but. Well, Peggy in the comics was blonde, if I'm not mistaken. Was she? Yeah, Peggy. Or was was she a brunette just like in the movie? I thought she was a brunette, like in the movie. I, you know what? I would tell him, but the, but it would also make sense that she was blind, given Sharon Carter, kinda. Right. No, right I mean, right, they're right, granted, right. they're niece and they're, they're that's her niece and you know niece and aunt, but still, that's, that's mm. family. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. It's, again, things to go back and look at a old hot movie and and uh, Google search about. But until then, folks, we don't necessarily need uh, answers about that's that. Fine. But hey. <laughs> and Marvel right. Unlimited. Exactly. But uh, we can go on to... Wait, and Peggy's showing up recently, hadn't she? In Captain America? Yep. And was she blonde there? I can't remember. That's yeah. why the, the, that's why the question <laughs> remains. Yeah, and it will be. So, you know, stay tuned. Well, not even stay tuned, folks. We'll just put that out in the air and let it be there. But we're going to go into the cinematic news. Not to believe it is anymore. Before that, an ad read. Our first ad read of the night is for Blue Apron's meal delivery service. Blue Apron. Fresh ingredients and incredible recipes delivered weekly to your door. Skip the grocery store and make incredible meals at home with Blue Apron. Always shipped free right to your home. And now the listeners of the Comic Book Chronicles can get $30 off your first Blue Apron order. To place your first order with $30 off. And to help keep our show free for you. Go to our network website at cspn.us, that's cspn.us, then click on the Keep Our Podcasts free link at the top of the page. From there, scroll down to the Blue Apron link and sign up for your first order. Blue Apron through cspn.us. Do it today. One moment. I only have one monitor here, folks. And now we get into the news. And we get into the cinematic news like we do every week about this time. We start off with, I guess, speaking of some Fast and Furious news, uh, the Fast Saga confirmed to finally go to space. Now, we talked about this uh, off-channel last week. That's probably why it may may seem familiar to um, Agent 70. But we didn't talk about it on camera because it's kind of we talked about it afterwards. Regardless, uh, it sounds like a uh, family is boldly adventuring into the stars in the next installment of the ongoing Fast and Furious franchise as series star Michelle Rodriguez seemingly confirmed that F9, the Fast Saga, um, will finally venture beyond Earth's measly atmosphere. While Ludacris yeah. only hinted at the possibility during a previous interview, Rodriguez uh, apparently got some wires mixed up and confirmed what her co-star alluded to during a recent uh, interview on Sirius XM's uh, Just Give Us Cold Show, whatever, whoever. Uh, Pans will have to wait uh, quite a while before they see how Dominic Toretto fares in zero, <laughs> zero gravity as uh, F9, the Fast Saga, was delayed to 2021 due to uh, COVID. 
Uh, says, wait, okay, and also goes on to say, when 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 asked if Rodriguez's character of Letty goes to join Ludacris in space, the actress was caught off guard and seemingly confirmed the news. Uh, so yeah, we don't know. I mean, this could we don't know. I feel like this doesn't necessarily confirm that much, especially if, if it was some confusion. It, and just because it was hinted at doesn't necessarily mean that it could very well be the case. But at this point, they might as well as crazy as that series has gotten. Next up. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. One second, my uh, sheet, the browser window that I had the sheet in froze, so I am scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. Uh, Let's see here. Our second story in cinematic news is unfortunate. Wonder Woman 1984 has been delayed until Christmas 2020, no big surprise here, folks. Warner Brothers has delayed Wonder Woman 1984 once more, this time for a Christmas release. This time's uh, converting it to a Christmas release. Um, even that, you have to admit, is still in the air. So uh, cross your fingers, fans of the Wonder Woman DCEU franchise. Yeah, indeed, indeed. Hey, look, unlike... Uh the long belaguered but finally got out new mutants movie we know this one's actually coming out you know in a fairly proper time i feel like we even with what's going on this this one's probably going to come out although you know things have been kind of speaking of new mutants and whatever other movies that are actually coming out into theaters um yeah tales up and down depending on the movie and things still are as they are Anyway, Jason Momoa claims WB made up frosty news to distract from uh, Ray Fisher's allegations. Uh, Jason Momoa has uh, spoken up about being cast in Warner Brothers' live-action Frosty the Snowman, saying the announcement... Yeah, go figure. Um, Saying the announcement came as a way to distract from Ray Fisher's ongoing allegations of mistreatment on the set of Justice League. Momoa please, Aquaman, you all know this. Um, and other stuff. See, Momoa's criticism of Warner Brothers comes amidst Fisher's allegations against the studio. Fisher, who played Cyborg in in Justice League, claimed on July 29th that Joss Whedon, uh, who took over the role film after, well, we've already talked about this, we don't need to go into that. Y'all know what happened. Um, but, yeah, so, sounds like, um, you know, Jason Momoa's taking out for his boy. Or, or, you know, side of his boy and all that stuff, so good deal. Next, Wow. Okay. Um, Criminal Queen Sophia finally appears in Batwoman Season 2. The first season of the CW's Batwoman referred to a character named Sophia on multiple occasions, starting with the seventh episode of the series. Now, Dominion star Shivana Guy has been cast as Sophia in the second season of Batwoman, opposite the new lead actress, Javisha Leslie. Uh, according to the official description of the character, Guy's incarnation of Sophia will share her DC Comics counterpart's title as the ruler of a small community community on the island of Coriana. Okay. Sure. Speaking of uh, Sophia's, uh, if you if any of you folks get a chance and you like, um, let's say, an alias type show, you should check out Queen Sonos. Uh, Queen Sono on Netflix because the, the lead character is actually called Sophia. Uh, actually, I think that's... Mm. Uh, that might be her last name? 
No, I'm sorry. Uh, Sophia is a mom's name. Never mind. Um, Sophia was her her mom's name. But regardless, that's what brought me to that. But Queen Sona is actually pretty good. It's only one season, six episodes though. Uh, I think the next season's coming next year. It's a South Af- African joint. Anyway, uh, mm. these, so this is also the time where I will tell folks that uh, that's part two of DC Fandom happened last weekend. And this next bit of news is coming out of that. And I will also say that I believe they had at the time, which doesn't do anybody any good. Um, they let folks see that new Superman animated movie, the man of tomorrow for 24 hours uh, during that thing. And I don't know if anybody caught that uh, and let me know. Cause I was actually going to watch it, but I totally forgotten until like a day or two later uh, that that happened. So hopefully some folks caught it while it was there. Anyway, DC's uh, Young Justice Season 4 gets official title, plot, details, and key art. So we know that Young Justice, um, the subtitle of Young Justice next season is going to be Phantoms. Um, And let's see, after a panel at DC Fandom, uh, fans of the show have their first hints about the upcoming season outside of the name of it, because there's that. Uh, it was real during the panel, which was, well, who cares, uh, who was modified for God, that the fourth season, fourth season of Young Justice will be entitled Phantoms, as I said, and the key art below was released. Uh, what more, the cast and producers of the series re- revealed that work is well underway. Still, a release date hasn't been announced, and it's also not entirely clear where new episodes of the series would air. I mean, I feel like DC, unless until they outright cancel DC Universe, it's going to be there, and obviously more likely, uh, or as just as likely, HBO Max. <laughs> but we don't know that. That's me. That was my speculation. Uh, does it say anything else? Nope. Yeah, so there we go. So we, we know uh, Young Justice Season 4 is coming and it's got some art from it. Next. Next up, fans of Netflix's slate of Marvel television programs may soon get a bit of good news, as the rights to Luke Cage and Iron Fist may revert back to Marvel Studios in October. Netflix canceled both Luke Cage and Iron Fist a week apart in October 2018, and according to various reports... Marvel's canceled Netflix properties included a clause that prevented the characters from appearing in any non-Netflix series or film for at least two years after cancellation. If that is indeed true, then the middle of October would mark two years since Netflix canceled Luke Cage and Iron Fist, possibly freeing the heroes of both series to be fully reintegrated back into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, I'm not sure if the rumors are true that uh, Feige is enamored with Charlie Cox, but less so with, uh, or at least they they haven't expressed uh, the same amount of desire to maintain... uh, the actors who play both Luke Cage and Iron Fist in their roles so much as they have with Daredevil. Mm. Well, there's also been people kind of caping for Charlie Cox, including uh, D'Onofrio and a couple other people to, to keep right. that role. So whereas they're not, people are not doing that for these other folks. Um, right. But yeah, I guess we'll see. So this was a weird, up until you got to that one point and, and I had read this, I was like, Wait, shouldn't they have already had that? But when you read that part about like the whole Netflix and they couldn't be in anything 
outside of Netflix, you know, shows for two years or like, okay, yeah, that makes some sense. <laughs> Weirdly enough. Um, some good news that just actually came off the wire uh, a few hours ago. Uh, Tatiana Mas- Maslany will play, well, first it came out as a report, but Tatiana Man- Maslany will play D- Disney Plus, no Lord, She-Hulk. She's going to play She-Hulk on She-Hulk show. Um, I am also tired, folks, so forgive me. I'm all on the Googles right now trying to check out what Tatiana Maslany looks like. So I can go ahead and tell you. So, oh yeah, so if you're watching the video, you can see what she looks like, but I know her from, um, which is a show that I really want to watch because I haven't seen but, but two episodes. She is from Orphan Black, most notably, where she played like five different versions of herself as a clone. Or five or six different versions of planes. So there's been, a matter of fact, there was a recent, um, uh, a recent uh, Twitter thing out there about people having range and like, yeah, she definitely did. She kind of did the thing. So which Orphan Black was a BBC show and had some high acclaim to it, uh, you know, amongst the, the fans of it. So this is a pick that I didn't think too much hard on, especially with her. But sure, I can see her. Her playing Jen Walters. I mean, granted, that picture of her that you're seeing in the video when she was in Orphan Black Aside, like, yeah, totally. I can see it. Listen, you know, and they're going to adapt, you know, her look in the CGI. So. Right. Well, assuming they don't get, they don't do a pull a Lou Ferrigno and, you know, get somebody else for the She-Hulk role. No, they're going to do, my gut says they're going to do they're going to adapt some of the tech that's uh, been used to put Ruffalo, you know, well, I mean, on screen. Sure. But I mean, that, that doesn't still negate that they couldn't necessarily do something similar. Like, yeah, they could. Like, it's somebody else's body, but it's her face. They they CGI on like they face tap mm-hmm. her onto somebody else's right. body. <laughs> which had, right, right. Which no matter, I'm not going to get in that face tap thing because that's a weird, weird thing. Yeah, I see that, and that just that weirds me out to no end so yeah also a good way to get somebody's face uh and you know still someone's identity you know not to be that person but still anyway variety and other trades have reported that uh tatiana maslany best known for a role as like i said 90 percent of the cast of the beloved bbc america clone drama more orphan black you should definitely watch it has been cast as she hulk um basically i wanted to see if Oh, it says also Mark Ruffalo has previously been rumored to play a role in the streaming series, which would make sense if that's the case. Uh, akin to Jeremy Renner's role in likewise in the upcoming Hawkeye series. Um, it is confirmed that Kate Coiro will direct and produce the She-Hulk series, which is penned by Rick and Morty writer Jessica Gao. Um... Speaking of Ruffalo, he himself rejoiced in the news on Twitter, welcoming his cinematic cousin to the MCU. Uh, and you can see the tweet right there, and there's no other news about it. So, cool. I, yeah, yeah. Like I said, not knowing who would have, they would have gotten and not thinking about this as this person as a pick. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of here for it. Sure. We'll see how she does. Next up. All right, next up, after a star-making turn in HBO's hit series Lovecraft Country, which I still haven't watched, but uh, it is on my list of things to watch now that I have blown through the Umbrella Academy. 
nice. Uh, uh, first couple of episodes are good, but I can't I can't attest to the next couple. I've heard things. Anyway, no, just watch it. No, just no, I'm talking it. about Lovecraft Country. Oh, okay. Yeah. I thought you were talking about Umbrella Cat. No, 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 no. I'm I'm gonna watch that, but no, I'm talking Lovecraft Country. Got it. So, Jonathan Majors is now ready to take to make his mark in the Marvel Cinematic Universe in a big way. Majors has been tapped for one of the lead roles in the next. There's going to be a next, a third Ant-Man movie. DC stays losing. There are now three. There's going to be three Ant-Man movies. Who would have ever thought that? Yeah. Who would have ever thought there would have been one? Right. If you had told me 15 years ago there were going to be three successful – or there's been already two successful Ant-Man movies and a third one on its way, I would have said, what the hell are you smoking? Hell, one Ant-Man movie. That's what I'm saying. So it's even more – it's even more – it makes – like I'm just incredulous at this point. So, <laughs> uh, you know, at the end of the day, right, uh, you know – uh, Majors has been tapped, uh, as I said, for one of the lead roles in the next Ant-Man movie opposite Paul Rudd and Evangeline Lilly. The studio had no comment, but sources close to the project say he's likely to play the supervillain Kang the Conqueror, a.k.a. Nathaniel Richards, a long-distant descendant of Reed Richards. And see, I'm glad so- you... I'm glad you mentioned that point because I just want to say that's weird because one Kang in an Ant-Man movie, as opposed right. to either, you know, a Avengers, Pro, but then again, they could be building up to something we don't know, but it's time travel quantum realm. Right. But the fact that like, okay, you know, the, the character got has got to start from fantastic four before coming more of a, an Avengers, uh, uh, villain. So right. I feel like that could have been, that could have gone away to kind of, you know, do something with the Fantastic Four and, and, you know, do something outside of... And they could still probably could. They still very much could, you know, get away from doing, hey, Dr. Doom's up here. Here you go. There you right. it's, another, it's another Fantastic Four movie with Dr. Doom. Yay. Right. Sources you know. add that, uh, like with so, with so many new characters in the MCU, there could be a twist with how the character is featured in future films. But as of now... He's likely to be one of the main villains in the next installment in the franchise. Unbelievable. When I saw this news, I was like, they're putting Kang in the Ant-Man movie. You know what? I'm not even going to complain. I'm not going to complain. Because who knew, right? Mm -hmm. Like you go from Yellow Jacket, which is kind of like what you expect in an Ant-Man movie, right? Mm -hmm. That to, um, uh, uh, whatchamacallit, Ghost. In the second Ant-Man movie, which is more of like a Ant-Man or more of an Iron Man Iron thing, Man. Mm-hmm. so you know what? Whatever. It's not like Ant-Man has this huge um, a rogues gallery, so they're gonna they're gonna grab people from all over the Marvel universe. I mean, they probably could have done something with AK because they did allude. They they, I think he did actually show up or was very much alluded to in one of the movies. But yeah, and I guess part of the reason why. One, it's weird, but also kind of makes sense, especially when since uh, the last Ant-Man kind of uh, pretty much brought up, brought up the quantum realm and therefore time things that they kind of baked in with it. Right, right, which rolled right into Endgame. Right. Like it literally rolled right into Endgame. So it makes sense that they would follow up on that in the next. An- I can't believe there's going to be another <laughs> Ant-Man movie. Right. So therefore, Kang, given all of that, is not that big of a stretch, but still kind of weird. Right. 
Anywho, we'll see how that plays out going forward. Next up, um, Olivia Wilde breaks silence on top secret Marvel film at Sony. Confirms uh, Kevin Feige is involved. So, uh, actor-filmmaker Olivia Wilde has finally broken the silence on the ultra-secret Marvel film she is set to direct for Sony Pictures. During a recent Avengers... Uh, excuse me, it's, uh, not Avengers... A, a recent appearance on the Shut Up Evan podcast, Wilde discussed her excitement. And while she couldn't confirm whether the project is about Spider-Woman, uh, which has been rumored, she did reveal that Marvel Studios uh, president Kevin Feige is involved. Quote, all I can say is that uh, by far that this is by far the most exciting thing that's ever happened to me. Not only do I feel like I get to tell a great to tell a story that's God, it's like listen to me trying to avoid uh, Kevin Feige's pellet gun. She said, <laughs> yeah, I, I think she's understating things somewhat. I don't think Kevin Feige is going after her with a pelican. I think there are snipers mounted on every roof. <laughs> yes, the, oh, the Marvel snipers. Sure. Yeah, the Punisher's <laughs> laid up somewhere out there, you know, in wait and be like, uh, no, you better not say one word. Uh, like you, but you don't, that, you don't think that uh, Ruffalo's, you know, like Ruffalo's uh, uh, jokes about, you know, the, the Avengers cast jokes about how that time when Ruffalo had what was it like he was live streaming like the first couple of minutes of 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 I think it was an Avengers movie. Oh, he's done a couple of things. Like there was and there was that one where he and um Don Cheeto was on a thing and Don Cheeto kind of looked at him and was like, "Hey, you just you like you just spoiled something or something, you know? Like he kind of oh. just gave him a look like, "Hey, hey, hey." But so yeah, Ruffalo's pretty much been one that's kind of been out there, you know, messing with some stuff. <laughs> exactly. I mean, Holland Tom oh. Holland too in 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 lesser respects, but definitely there's been things like that. So yeah, the, so yes, the snipers are out there and definitely people are probably more worried of it because of those folks. Because of what happened, exactly. Because it's not, it's not, uh, apparently it's not, uh, it's not just rumor. You right. know, you actually get it talking to. <laughs> right. <laughs> the rough equivalent of Marvel snipers being on the rooftops. Right, exactly. <laughs> so, so funny. All right, next up. But yeah, next um, up. It appears as though Thor, Love and Thunder will not be Chris Hemsworth's swan song in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, as the MCU star revealed in an interview that he is nowhere near ready to give up playing the role. Good for him. Yeah. You know what? Good for him. There's plenty of Thor stories to be told. After Avengers Endgame, which saw the retirement of Chris Evans as Captain America and the death of Robert Downey Jr. as Iron Man, Hemsworth noted that the film was the last film in his Noted that the film was the last film in his original contract, explaining contractually right now, yeah, that is it. He's done. He won't be playing the character again. But uh, after Endgame's release, though, Hemsworth also noted he'd still love to do more. Yeah. Cool. Man, that's, that's good news. Um, I, I'm going to say this again. Uh, maybe they, they could do Thorcore. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Oh, I'm saying it's you know, there. it's there. You know what's funny? Honestly, they could uh, they could absolutely use Thor the way they use the Hulk right now. You know, kind of as you know, uh, not necessarily uh, someone who has to carry his own movie, but they could definitely have him as uh, uh, not a guest star, but definitely like a uh, another player in a in a larger group of ensemble. Sure. You know, yeah. they could def- he could definitely be. You know, uh, you know, kind of fall into uh, a Hulk type role. Yeah, yeah, it's especially yeah, you know, the way they they've set him up in the movies. So yeah, totally. 
Uh, next up, though, speaking of Thor, Thor Love and Thunder is using and improving on ILM's Mandalorian VFX technology. Um, uh, Taika Waititi's upcoming Thor Love and Thunder will utilize the same industrial light and magic uh, ILM VFX technology as the Mandalorian. Excuse me, but with groundbreaking improvements from its original stage direction designs. Because, you know, Taika is always moving. ILM recently announced that the next phase of its global expansion plan will increase the company's virtual production and stagecraft LED volume services. To do this, ILM will soon construct three more stagecrafts, two stagecraft volume sets, one in Manhattan Beach to join the already existing set, and one in Pinewood Studios in London, and a large-scale custom volume stage located at Fox Studios in Australia which will be used for Taika Waititi's a highly anticipated movie, uh, Thor, Love, and Thunder. So, cool. The tech is advancing, and people are using, you know, and people are getting to use it. Next. All right. Uh, he's 50. Disney has viewed the first look at The Mandalorian second season just days after announcing the show will return on October 30th. The trailer, if you haven't seen it yet, spoiler alert, seems to pick up where the first season of The Mandalorian left off. With The Mandalorian and Baby Yoda, or the child, traveling across the galaxy, a voiceover ominously talks about stories of Eon's past, describing great battles between The Mandalorian and an order of sorcerers known as Jedi. Pretty cool. Hmm. Which I'm kind of wondering if that's either allusion to uh, some Clone Wars business or, um, which granted, I guess at this point, Clone Wars wasn't that terribly long uh, before this. Or like going back to like High Republic or some mess like that. I don't know. If you know anything about the Star Wars universe, things tend to go in cycles uh, and repeat. But yeah, did you watch the trailer? Yes. What'd you think? Listen, I don't care. I'm excited for this series. I just, you know, whatever, man. Agreed. Agreed. And of course, there's al- already uh, gifts out there of uh, Baby Yoda retracting into the pram and whatnot and stuff. And then the broken down vehicles. Like, so, yeah, I am also waiting for it to come, which is October 15th, was it? 30th. 30th. Right before Halloween. Yeah. October 30th. Right, exactly. I re- right before Halloween. Because Halloween happened fall on a Saturday this year, so. So you're saying this year Halloween fall on a weekend? Yeah. Of all we of all years. Shout out to the ghetto boys. Anyway, um That's right. <laughs> Baby Yoda won an Oscar. Except for it's not necessarily just Baby Yoda, it's the Mandalorian who took home five awards at the twenty twenty Creative Arts Emerys. Um, competing against Netflix's Lost in Space and Stranger Things, along with HBO's Watchmen and Westworld. Uh, the mer- first major Disney Plus series took home the award for a bunch of stuff. We won't get into all of that, but a bunch of, just like a bunch of visual effects awards, um, et cetera. But congrats to The Mandalorian, because, yeah, well, good, good stuff. Next. Next up, Ewan McGregor has explained that for now. The Obi-Wan Kenobi series for Disney Plus is a standalone season and will begin shooting in spring 2021. Speaking to E.T. as an entertainment tonight, which used to be the only way for us to get this news, but now we have the internet. Well, one of, yeah, definitely. <laughs> right. 
Gregor was asked what the ongoing plans for the Star Wars TV series were, to which he explained, as he understood it, it's a standalone season. That doesn't seem to be an absolutely final decision. However, with McGregor adding, we'll see, who knows? Hint, hint, hey, make it as big as The Mandalorian and, and get it another season. Exactly. That, that's my takeaway from it. Um, speaking of Mr. Uh, McGregor, uh, Ewan McGregor is more excited about the Kenobi series than episodes two and three, and I can't say that's bigger stretch. So, I mean, especially episode two, good gosh. Anyway, uh, fans exploded with excitement when Ewan McGregor officially announced his return as Jedi Master Obi-Wan Kenobi for a limited uh, Disney Plus series. However, the excitement is eclipsed by that of none other than McGregor himself. And to be fair, before I even go any further, um, he has been getting work, so I was going to make a joke like, yeah, because he wants to get work. But no, that's not it. Because he was also... And I did not recognize this at the fact, but I totally forgot he was going to be in this. He was in that Birds of Prey movie as the as the villain, and it didn't it didn't even look like him to me. But anyway, uh, during an interview with Empire, uh, McGregor said that his excitement for the series outstripped that of working on Star Wars: Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sixth. Um, I'm more excited about doing this one than I was doing the second and third one that we did before, quote unquote. Uh, I'm just excited to play him again. It's been long enough since I played him before. So, yeah. That's, well, there you go. Okay. And he goes on to praise the, the director, Deborah Trow, who, uh, who, uh, directed uh, the Mandalorian and some other stuff. So cool. Next. I don't know if you're watching the boys on Amazon prime. Nope. Right. So at its heart, the boys is a show about our modern political climate. While it contains plenty of flashy superheroes from uh, the Ennis uh, books, um, those heroes are used as stand-ins for the famous and powerful people in the real world who often operate without oversight or consequences. The show's battles are carefully mediated, uh, more about information and posturing than about raw physical strength. Um, So, you know, it's no surprise Season two of the show continues to del- to deliver on those political metaphors with the fourth episode of the second season's not-so-subtle reference to the hashtag Oscar so white movement. I watched this and I did get the reference. Mm. Was it good or no? Yeah, it's good. Okay. You listen, it's, it's definitely an interesting take on superheroes. Um, you know, I have a friend who is a big fan of the boys comic and he's not a fan of the fact that they're deviating. You know, they're obviously... It's just a loose adaptation at this point sure, of the books. So he's not a fan of that, but he's intrigued by the direction. So mm. we'll, gotcha. we will see how it goes. Cool. Uh, some sad news. Uh, Game of Thrones, uh, the Avengers actor, not the Marvel Avengers, by the way, actor uh, Dame Diana Rigg dies at 82. So most of you at this point probably know her as uh, Olena Terrell from... Game of Thrones. Some of us of a certain vintage know her from uh, Emma Peel, uh, playing Emma Peel in the Avengers, or and or also uh, playing James Bond's wife, who also sadly died in um, uh, Her Majesty's Secret Service. Right. Uh, uh, does it say here what she died passed on? Like you know, she was looking halfway. De- I mean, you know, she was a very striking young lady when she was younger. 
Um, but you know, still. I was about to say the people who are of a slightly older vintage than ourselves remarked on her upon her passing that she was a smoke show. She was definitely oh. someone who caught the young lad's attention. Right. You know, I mean, talking- and I, yeah, and I have seen a couple of uh, episodes of the uh, of the Avengers, and I'm like, yeah, she is true. And also the James Bond movie she was in, but I mean, less uh, less that than the Avengers. But she was definitely. Right. I would say I was just going to say once I figured out that the Avengers were not Marvel's Avengers, and I saw like a black and white rerun somewhere on some channel, I was like, what is this fraud? What is this travesty? <laughs> Why is this in the TV guide? You know. The- <laughs> pre-internet folks That's so funny, i, I had no gonna, idea what it was yeah i was going to mention the tv guy when you mentioned the et last uh, last uh last article so that's funny you mentioned that now but yeah it's also know. noted in this article that apparently uh rigged outfits on the avengers show were a major influence uh, on the world of comics uh her standard outfit inspired um mike i was gonna say mike wajowski but that's not right uh redesigning wonder woman in the mold of emma peel uh, this is probably what back in the seventies uh, or eighties or something, or back in the seventies oh, probably. Wonder Woman. Yeah, got it. Uh, and her undercover outfit in a touch of brimstone uh, led John Byrne to design the outfits of the Hellfire Club in a similar fashion. Uh, and if you're watching the video version, you can see one such picture where you can see the uh, you can see the influence. Uh, the Hellfire Club in general wasn't based on that episode. Was based on that episode, and as both Byrne and Chris Claremont were big fans of the show, and then once again, you can kind of see why. <laughs> but you know, um, you know, yeah. Sad news, Dana Rig. Um, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily. Oh, I did wait. I don't remember her this, but she was in, also in the Great Muppet Caper. Oh, Lady Holiday. Yes. Okay, I do remember that. I do remember that. Anyway, so condolences to her, her family. Next up. All right, next up. Uh, Noah Hawley gives us an update on Star Trek status, teases new details. Last month, the disappointing news that Noah Hawley's Star Trek film may be stalled at Paramount Pictures as the studio reassesses its upcoming film slate. But in a new interview... Um, with Variety, the Fargo creator has given a hopeful update on its status as well as tease new details in regards to its story. Okay. Yeah. So I'm, so I'm like, hey, hey, it's still out there, but, you know, things. Uh, next up, uh, Stumptown has been canceled. ABC not proceeding with season two. I mean, I think that, yeah, that kind of is exactly what that means. Uh, Colby Smothers series may be shopped elsewhere. Uh, sounds like this is uh, an uh, article that's been updated, and basically the, the TLDR is that the series was filming in Los Angeles and had not started production and hadn't had a firm date, but uh, COVID happened. Um, mm-hmm. So that's uh, much to the chagrin of fans of that show, which I had only seen like a couple of episodes and seemed all right. Um, was okay, you know. Maria Hill had another show that was not her playing Maria Hill. She's kind of more Jack Reacher, I guess, not having not seen that movie. But you it, got me. Yeah, so maybe it could end up somewhere else. Who knows? Next. 
Uh, we're transitioning, right? Yes, we are into the comic book news. And I guess I'll take this time to say that uh, December solicitations have come out for definitely Marvel and DC and probably some others, which, which I forgot to get. But they will be in the show notes if you are into perusing those things. First up, the Black Cats series returns. <laughs> I totally forgot about the transition there. Scared the hell out of me. So my apologies. Uh, the Black <laughs> Cats series returns and a new costume will soon follow. Told you so. But anyway, I remember we talked about this. <laughs> we did talk about <laughs> it. Well, we didn't talk about the costume part because. But yeah, the, the, the part that um, the, the, the series is coming back, Age of Seven, it did definitely say. So yeah, Black Cat Solo Series will return later this year and see Felicia attempting to pull off the biggest highest of her life. Basically, you know, our continuing Jed McKay's story. Uh, the the issue will tie into the King and Black event as the titular Black Cat Wolves have to steal an item from none other than the symbiote god Null. Uh, and I guess Judd McKay says, I told you, wait, is this, uh, yeah, Judd McKay says, uh, I told you we weren't canceled, check your Christmas list because this December Black Cat is back with a new brand new number one. But remember, if we're going with legacy numbering, that puts us back on unholy number 13. And when you talk about Felicia Hardy, you know bad luck is her constant companion, says Jed McKay, like I said. So cool. Next. Excited uh, about that. Glad to have it back with the same creative team. Yeah, which they have done. Well, I- we have noted they have done before with other books and, and stuff. But yeah, I am... You know, despite my interpretations about whether it was coming back or not, I am happy to see it back. Coming right. back. Right. I am disappointed that J. Scott Campbell will not be supplying covers for this series anymore. It'll be I fine. Think he's Black Widow for a little while. Lord. But I think that it is I want to say it's R, it's either R. B. Silva or Marty Gracia doing um no, 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 or Pepe Larraz. It's one of the two. One of the Hawksbox artists is doing. Um, according to this, Pepe Larraz to the to Pepe the cover Larraz. number one. Right. Yeah, doing the doing the covers for uh, the Black Cat series. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, all right. Next up, with talk of a TV series based on Marvel Silk floating around, Newsarama Games Radar wondered about the Silk ongoing comic book series announced back in February, and now there are answers. Marvel states that they have no new information to share currently. Newsarama Games Radar has confirmed through other sources that work on the series has continued despite the pandemic, and the series is still intended to be released, but with no firm release date yet. And this was originally announced in February for a July 2020 debut. This would have been a a Silk ongoing series by writer Maureen Gu and artist Takeshi Miyazawa. Gotta love Tak Miyazawa, always a fan. We'll be taking Spider Man's, uh, we'll be taking Spider Gwen, uh, uh, Silk, that is. Like, nope, nope. Exactly. I was like, Spider Man, like, no, spiritual spider sister, no, this is Silk, and putting her to work for J. Jonah Jameson and his podcast, Threads and Menaces, by day as reporter and by night as his protector. I mean, I guess that makes sense because didn't she work for the, um, what was the news channel? Fact Channel. The Fact Channel, yeah. So I guess that continues to make sense there. They mentioned threats and menaces, uh, which we'll call it, um, in Sins of Norman Osborn. Uh, that was oh, out this week. I didn't, I didn't mm-hmm. even catch that, honestly. Silk mentions it, so. Which, yeah, I guess that would make, be the person who would. So so I need, mm-hmm. I still need to go back and um, read her original series. 
uh, and actually go back to Spider Verse itself. But that's you know that's a whole other thing. Spider Verse, you definitely need to read Spider Verse. Don't know what's been taking so long. And, you know, it's that's a lot. But uh, so so yeah, Spider Verse and the other one, the, the, the follow up to it, and which some of the stuff got that got mentioned in the uh, Amazing Spider Man, kind of loosely. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, next up. Uh, there we go. Uh, Marvel celebrates 50 years of Conan comic books with Conan Legend. Uh, Conan the Barbarian has been in comics for 50 years. Roy Thomas has been alongside him pretty much the whole entire time. Uh, Thomas is part of King Size Conan Number 1, a 50th anniversary special shipping from Marvel in December. Thomas writes and Steve McNiven, McNiven draws one of five tales in the oversized issue. Excuse me. Um, uh, Kurt Busiek and Pete Woods, Chris Claremont and Robert uh, De La Torre. De La Torre or De La Torre? Um, yeah. The, uh, Daredevil writer, director, showrunner Stephen S. DeKnight writing his first Marvel story because it's that easy to get a, 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 a Marvel issue if you're some status. But anyway, and Jesus Sayas and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles co creator Kevin Eastman also writing and drawing his first. Huh? I was just pause on that. That is Roddy Cat with the hateration to quote Mary J. Blige. You, but you know it's true. Um, also, Kevin Eastman also writing and drawing his first Marvel story. Comprise. He's up this dancer I'm kidding. Anyway. <laughs> uh, compromise the other creative teams. The cover is by Andrew C. Robinson. We are off the rails. Oh, geez. I mean, she does have that, that wine that wine company that I, that I made note of some while back. I mean, you know, a wine label. Huh? Mary J. Yeah. She She's has got a golden umbrella academy. Yes, that is also true. That is true. I, I, I heard she's actually all right in that too. Yeah. So yes, yeah, looks, she is pretty good. Yeah. So she's been getting her acting, acting chops up lately. So that's good. Good on Mary J. She's not doing the, the slow bow. Y'all can't see me, so I'm not even gonna do it on camera either, anyway. <laughs> Let us move on. So there's a Conan thing, and there's some some people writing and drawing it. So good on them. Next up. Oh, we can you that story. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Holleration. Vita Ayala <laughs> will take over as writer of Marvel's Dawn of X era X-Men title New Mutants, starting with New Mutants number 14 this December, the publisher has announced. Launched by co-writers Ed Brisson and Jonathan Hickman in 2019 following the relaunch of the uh, X-Men line with Hox Pox, Hickman departed after the series' first arc with Brisson remaining on as the series' sole writer. Ayala will begin their run in December for a story that follows up on threads from the upcoming line-wide X-Men crossover Ten of Swords. Artist Rod Rice, importantly, who has worked on the series since its launch, will remain on New Mutants alongside Ayala. So it's nice to get a little bit of continuity, and I look forward to seeing what uh, Vita takes where you know where she takes the uh, the new mutants and it's not just the traditional new mutants this is literally like every young mutant group just like mosh mishmash together right you know yeah it's, it's the og new mutants and all the the others that came later uh exactly so like yeah Gen I, X, yeah new x yeah, yeah um that that whole crew with rock slide and and iboy and all those so some of those people show up even though not those people specifically but you know Right. I was gonna say iBoy's on X Factor. Yeah, I know, I know. Um mm-hmm. but I'm just saying that crew, there's I'm sure there's the, 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 I know like yeah, like Pixie I think it may have showed up in his in this book or something. And she was along yeah. that. 
she and uh, somebody else have babies? Uh, oh, no, 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 no. You're thinking of uh, um, Angel and Beak. Oh, Angel, yeah, with the yeah, with the with the wings. That's yeah. what I was thinking. Of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, oh, but there was that uses right. Pixie's the one that uses magic. Okay. Yeah, kind of. She's like she's kind of like magic, but she's a little bit more further in, I guess. Um, I, you know. Um, but I, and I think her, and I think her, and I think her, yeah, and I think her teleportation. So, yeah, she's she's kind of kind of like the opposite. Girl. So magic's like more teleportation and a little bit of magic. Well, a lot of magic, but still, and she's kind of the other way where there's a little bit of teleportation, and a lot more magic. I think. Um, I, but that is a mutant power, weirdly enough. So anyway, um, I am looking forward to see what what uh, the, what they do, Vita. Um, I, I'm been liking the video all his stuff so they've been doing some some good writing right uh, and she's uh she shows up i think she's in new york located in new york because she does uh uh-huh. signings at uh my true lcs right. the one that i can do gotcha kind of cool she does she does do uh appearances in new york city gotcha so cool on them on they uh oh, that is her proper pronoun that is correct yes um, moving on to Fantasy Four meets Cronenberg Body Horror in December. Um, those are words I never expected to hear, but sure. Uh, while Marvel fans continue to search for any clues about the Fantastic Four's eventual addition to the um the MCU, including the most recent possible clue about their mu- movie's future, Marvel Comics continues to try to rebuild their presence in the comic book universe. In addition to a promised major new permanent status quo change in October, uh, which we uh, presumably have already seen in Empire, Fantastic Four fans will get an extra dose of uh, Marvel's first family in Fantastic Four Road Trip, a one-shot written by writer Christopher Cantwell um, with art by Philippe Andrade and a cover by Valerio Giangiordano. I hope I pronounced that right. Uh, according to the publisher, after the events of Empire, the family will take a vacation, but Reed doesn't take the time to relax, rex and relax uh, too well, and the science experiments goes awry, resulting in some, quote-unquote, rather freaky side effects, quote-unquote. So, yeah, look forward to that. Coming up. Next. All right, so when the Phoenix Force returns to Earth this December in the pages of uh, the ongoing Avengers title, it's going to find a new host. In fact, it'll find a whole host of hosts when Earth's mighty heroes themselves become the latest conduits for the vaunted cosmic entity of death and resurrection, bonding with the Phoenix Force as a team. But they won't be the only ones. Uh, If that premise sounds sort of familiar, Mm -hmm. it's not unlike the so-called Phoenix Five. The five mutants the Phoenix bonded with when it came to Earth in 2012. God, that was 2012. Mm-hmm. Avengers vs. X-Men limited series, including Namor, Emma Frost, Colossus, Cyclops, and Magic. That story led to the downfall of the X-Men and the death of Charles Xavier for a time. Anyway, this is all pre-Krakoa. Yeah, and I, I saw this and I was like, oh God, please don't let there be another AVX. Please. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and yes, that was a Jason Aaron joint. And yes, I'm still bitter about the, the annulment of, um, T'Challa and Aurora's marriage. Fight me. I don't care. Um, anywho. Yeah. That's the thing that's coming up in. looks like, uh, December 4th. 
uh, in Avengers 40, which is going to be in December, it sounds like that's going to be the thing after this whole um, Moon Knight uh, Age of Age of Conchu thing, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Which is, I guess, I don't remember, because I know there's still some things in the bucket that was introduced and still on in play in Avengers um, from the start. Like we've only gotten into like probably like part two ish, two three ish, I guess, of that stuff. You know, not counting the the hundred million BC uh, stuff because you know there's still the stuff with Squad of Supreme, right? Um, although, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's still a thing in play. And although this is probably obviously you know one million BC, there was a Phoenix there, so this is still playing into some of that. So I guess they're they're just kind of going through the through the motions. Next up. Uh, Marvel to honor. Wait, really? Oh, anyway, um, I just saw an article that's kind of weird. I don't. Anyway, um, Marvel to honor Chadwick Boseman on next week's comic covers. Uh, in honor of the late Black Panther star Chadwick Boseman, Marvel Comics is adorning the weekly comic books with a commemorative trade dress. Uh, the banner, which debuts on comics being released uh, September 23rd, read "Rest in Power, Chadwick Bowman, Bozeman, excuse me, 1976 to 1920 uh, to 2020, excuse me," and features two Black Panther logos on either side. Uh, Marvel utilized a similar approach following the 2018 death of Marvel figurehead Stan Lee by including a banner across its title um, for a full month. Though it's unclear how long the Bozeman tribute will run. I would say probably similar or less than two weeks. Um, and I think they're still running, like, isn't that Joe Sinat thing still running in this month's um, in the books? Yeah. Yeah, in this month's books. So, yeah. So I was about to say, it could be a month. You know, yeah, it could, could run be. through every single issue in a month. Yeah, could be. In a month's time since it's starting on the 23rd, yeah. you know, but yeah. So, exactly. Cool. A month's time, you know, basically four weeks from that date of uh, the first release. Right. So that is the thing that's coming up. Look out for that next week. Next up. All right. For you gamers out there, it seems that the universe that fans saw in Marvel's Avengers is more comprehensive than expected. The recent Marvel Marvel's Avengers, The Extinction Key, is a result of Marvel's collaboration with Titan Books for a tie-in book that will focus on the events that take place before the A-Day. So have fun with that, you gamer folks. Yeah, you brought up Zodiac earlier, and that's, that is apparently who they will be fighting in this book. Interesting. Uh, the Zodiac. And it says something else. It introduces a threat from Zodiac member Capricorn. And then there's Cut. an excerpt you can um, read at the link. You know, Zodiac is, uh, you know, running. Maybe they'll do annuals again and, and get a baseball team back, a uh, baseball game back together with the Avengers. Although there's no <laughs> East and West Coast group anymore. Anywho, Marvel's Avengers may have secretly nerf, nerfed loot. Um, so, yeah. So, the latest patch for Marvel's Avengers is out and address some major game breaking bugs, although that game still has some issues, but it's still playable. Uh, that uh, players have experienced in game, but according to several ex- players' experiences, the patch may have had some additional changes to the loot rewards. Uh, in several Reddit posts made on the Marvel's Avengers subreddit, players have noticed that the missions that would normally provide higher-tiered loot are, in fact, dropping lower rewards, uh, specifically regarding legendary and pattern drops on the higher-difficulty uh, missions. 
So, which you know, not the first game to do that. I'm pretty sure Destiny has Destiny has done that, and, and other loot games have done that. But yeah, that's not great because that's what you're doing. You're trying to grind for loot, and uh, it's not coming. So hopefully they will do another patch where that will they will deal with that if that is indeed the case. Next. All right, so I am going to open this link. Apparently, THQ, the game developing company, spent years working on an Avengers video game. If you go to CNET.com, it has the story of how that was torn apart, ultimately. So uh, I haven't opened the link yet, but... I'll I'll just do the TLDR. They basically was working on it for a long time, and it came, and there was a bunch of issues, you know... uh, one way or another with the with uh, either the the um the the either the doings of that game or something where else what years are we talking about um you know what i'm not sure so oh, 2011 all right so this is post avengers movie okay yeah and and you know there's been a lot of licensed games in the in the past and a lot of not a lot of them are good i think there's they cited that uh, Iron Man game, which was not good, and that other Captain American game, which was not great. Um, I don't think that was THQ. I'm not sure if that was THQ, because I think the Iron Man game was Sega. But regardless, it wasn't good. Um, and actually, it might have been before 2011. It might have... Uh, that might have been... No, it says... No, 20... This is a work on, no, 20... Yeah, 2009, excuse me, is when they started working on it. Or so it was. It's been a good while. So technically, around the time Avengers movie uh, came out, then they started working on it, and then issues happened. But you can read that for yourself because it's a long article that goes through a bunch of it. Uh, next up, uh, watch this animated short introducing the story of Star Wars Squadrons. Uh, if you just can't wait for the release of Star Wars Squadron next month, uh, EA has something to ease the pain. Not really, because that would be you know something playable. Uh, today, the publisher released a new seven-minute animated short. Well, today, as of this writing, but you know that's a couple of days ago, uh, which serves as a standalone story introducing one of the main characters from Squadron's single-player campaign. It centers on an Imperial pilot named uh, Varko Gray, the only one left behind after a massive battle. The, the there are tense dogfights, lots of flaming stars, destroyers. And all of the musical cues you expect from Star Wars. Now, I watched this, and this actually was a pretty good uh, CGI um, um, short. So you should check it out if you're interested in that in that, um, in that game. Next up. Next up. For years, fans of the 20, 2010 uh, beat-em-up Scott Pilgrim vs. the World video game have been lobbying Ubisoft to bring it back. It was delisted from digital stores back in 2014 after teased online multiplayer patch never materialized. Uh, Ubisoft's finally re-releasing the game at the end of this year, remastered and bundled with its old DLC. Okay. Congratulations, folks. Yeah. Um, I, I feel like I have a version of that game somewhere, but this is going to be a complete version where you can play as the characters you could and a couple of extra characters that had DLC that were DLC characters. It was a beat him up, not like, uh, not unlike final fight streets, of rage, that kind of stuff. Uh, river city ransom, probably most notably also, obviously if the name doesn't sound familiar, yes, it is the video game based off of the comic strips that also birthed a movie, which I had recently rewatched. Scott Pilgrim was a great movie. 
That's all I will say. I just recently yeah. watched that movie. Huh? It wasn't bad. I watched it. No, it was good. Yeah, I love that movie. Um, like, unironically love that movie. Anyway, uh, Edgar Wright joint. DC's new general manager aims to leverage the cultural power of the company uh, for increasingly diverse global fan base. There are air quotes around both of those statements. Uh, DC's new general manager, Senior Vice President Daniel Cherry III, officially began his tenure at the company this week. And in the social media post, he's given a bit of a little bit background on his comic book roots and his vision of DC going forward. Uh, quote, I've been a huge DC fan since I first discovered the joy of comics from my father who collected Shazam oversized comics from the 70s. Cherry wrote on his, writes on his LinkedIn. Uh, I am standing on the shoulders of giants like Malcolm Wheeler Nicholson, Bill Finger, Bob Kane, Neil Adams, Harry Lampert, and so many others. I'm especially proud to be continuing the legacy of fellow Ohioan and uh, Cleveland native Jerry Siegel, who created Superman. Uh, Cherry will be working alongside publisher chief creative officer Jim Lee at the Burbank office uh, with them both reporting to Warner Brothers Global Brands and experienced president Pam Layford. So, and the geek goes on to kind of gives us a little mission statement about what he's going for uh, going forward. So you can check that out in the article. Next. Next up, hidden in the credits among DC's just released December 2020 solicitations is a bit of news marking the return of a long-absent creator to the DC Universe with the writer Mark Wade contributing a story to DC's Dark Knight's death metal, The Last Stories of the DC Universe Anthology One-Shot. Wade last worked for DC in 2008 prior to the onset of the New 52 in 2011. Damn, the New 52 is in 2011? I know, right? <laughs> Following his departure from DC, uh, Wade worked in a staff role at several publishers from a stint at Bo- as Boom's editor-in-chief and is now currently publisher of, not in Humanoids, but Humanoids. <laughs> Since his departure from DC in 2008, Wade has worked extensively at Marvel, even signing an exclusive deal with the publisher for a time. He's currently writing Fantastic Four Antithesis, which is drawn by Neil Adams. And that's also to be confused with Herculoids, if you're of a certain vintage. So there you go. Yeah. Uh, next up, come on, come on. There we go. Um, the Dark Knight's Death Metal expands with three more one shots this in December because you can't clearly get enough of that stuff, I guess. Uh, DC's Dark Knight's Death Metal event expands again this December with three additional one shots. Dark Knight's Death Metal, The Secret Origin, number one. Dark Knight's Death Metal, The Last Stories of the DC Universe, number one. And Death Metal, The Last 52, War of the Multiverses, number one. Good God, these are some long titles. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess all of these are getting described in the article below, but I won't do that. You can read it for yourself in the show notes. Or in the solicits, if you're, if you're that kind of person. Next. Uh, Brian Michael Bendis' run on DC Superman and Action Comics titles will come to an end in December, according to the publisher's just-released DC December 2020 solicitations. Solicitations for both December shipping issues call it a wrap-up and final Superman tale for Bendis, along with his artist teams on both titles, Ivan Rice and Joe Prado on Superman, and John Romita Jr. and Klaus Janssen on Action Comics. 
Now, with an update, writer Brian Bendis has briefly commented on his exit from DC's Action Comics and Superman titles in December. Responding on Twitter to a fan who asked what he's picking up, now that his runs on Action and Superman have ended, or are going to end in December, uh, the DC exclusive creator responded, quote, something big enough to get him to clear the deck. It's all super exciting, but it's months away, and we'll talk about it all when the world is not literally on fire he is of course in portland oregon mm-hmm. in the commune the comic book commune right um, so you heard it here first he's doing supergirl because he said no i'm just joking I don't, I'm, I don't know that at all so we'll see sure next up um jonah hex would be proud jenny hex spinning off into her own one shot from Vizago and manikov melnikov excuse me uh, Young Justice Jenny Hex is breaking out into her own 48-page one-shot this December with writer Magdalene Visaggio and artist Gleb uh, Melnikov. As announced in the state with me, to just released December 2020 solicitations. Uh, Jenny Hex special number one will take the recently debuted uh, DC character back in time, gonna go back in time, uh, to the American Old West the stomping grounds of her great-great-grandfather and namesake, Jonah Hex. So, yeah. There you go. If you're a fan of uh, Jeannie Hex, there you go. She's She's got a... She's, even though Young Justice is gone or going, she's still around. So what? Maybe they'll show up someplace else. Who knows? Next. Details on DC's December event Endless Winter have come to light in the publisher's just released December 2020 solicitations. And while it doesn't focus on the villains we had speculated, uh, that have been speculated, it does contain more than a few surprises. The five-week event pits the Justice League against a new cold-based villain called the Frost, the Frost King. What does he sell? Ice cream from an ice cream truck? The Frost King. Oh, that's editorializing from one agent underscore 70. But come on, y'all. Now the who's thinking the hateration? For real. <laughs> anyway, like you heard the you heard, you heard the Brooklyn step out just now, right? Uh-huh. So, so, <laughs> so who has taken over the former site of Superman's Fortress of Solitude? The Frost King! <laughs> and while the Justice League line up has the regular main characters, it'll feature a proto-Justice League from a thousand years prior, whose first battle oh god, it's the one million BC Avengers, whose first battles with the Frost King led to his modern day rise to plague the current team. A thousand years ago, a disparate group of heroes, Hippolyta, Black Adam, Swamp Thing, and the Viking Prince banded together to prevent the world from freezing at the hands of the Frost King. Was it soft serve? An exiled North God with the ability to control entire ecosystems. Oh, God, DC, you stay losing. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a windy sponsorship, surely. The Frost King, surely there's some frosts coming down the pike, right? Actually, now that, I say, now that you say I say that, I kind of want a Wendy's Frosty. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> oh, hey, I just recently God. had a Slurpee for the first time in like eons. So, well, not eons. That's, that's hyperbole, but it's been a while. So, a Frosty's probably going to be on the deck, folks. So, wow. What's wild is that I was about to say it's been warm in the Northeast up until very recently. Yes. So, the ice cream truck was still rolling around and obviously working from home the majority of the time. You still, you know, you're you're privy now to hearing it roll through the neighborhood. Mm. So um, 
up until very recently, I think it's uh, uh, probably going to be rolling around probably through the end of this month, maybe, you know, before like kind of uh, the, the, the seasons tend to change and the cold starts to kick in. But people still love their ice cream. So every once in a while, you'll see um, you'll see ice cream trucks at, uh, you know, tourist spots, but sure. they won't be rolling through neighborhoods. So, but yeah, seriously, Frost King, that's totally an ice cream truck name. You know, uh-huh. it's not Mr. Softy. Softy is the classic. But Frost King seems like one of the other, like, buy, you know, like uh, uh, rip-off uh, ice cream trucks. Uh, as as flames, heaving flames <laughs> permeate from uh, one agent underscore 70. Um, and I try to figure out, well, I know there's a Wendy's not too far, but it's closed right now. And, uh, I probably exactly. go get me a Frosty exactly. from Wendy's at some point. Uh, and yes, your, your 1 million BCs... Shots fired. Well, I, was, I was just going to say that, yes, definitely the the one billion million BC thing is kind of seemingly notable here. But also, like, Kale, didn't DC have like a one million BC uh, event like some years ago? Marvel and DC, they they're they're just they're just you know doing pages out the same playbook, one after the other. Yep. One puts the one puts it in play, the other one takes it up, and then the other one takes it back up. So it's not a surprise. So there we go. Rorschach's sidekick, the kid, gets an origin story in December. Uh, so the official synopsis of Tom King and George uh, Fornes' Rorschach number three, released as part of the solicitations, um, promises an origin story for the kid, the radicalized gun-toting performer, that serves as there's a lot of quotes here. Uh, the right hand woman of the new Rorschach. Um, in an instant, 15 million people are there at the synopsis season before posting the question What happens when the human psyche is forced to accept such devastating truth? You know what? I don't really care about watching the stuff or, or Rorschach, so we're just going to move on. If you do, there you go. It's out there. Next. Next up, DC's 5G initiative has been shrouded in mystery, and at this point, we'll never probably really know what the publisher was planning with this ambitious project. DC's publisher slash creative chief, chief creative officer, Jim Lee, confirmed the long-rumored reboot of DC's comic book line is no more. As Newsarama Games Radar reports, Lee revealed the news during pre-recorded Q&A segments at DC's Fandom. Explore the multiverse. Lee confirmed DC won't be publishing a comic or event called 5G, nor are there plans to perform a sweeping overhaul of DC's continuity a la 20, 2011, new 2011's New 52 relaunch. Instead, DC will take a character-driven approach yeah, okay, to its comic book lineup, shots fired, editorializing there to its comic book lineup as the company shifts focus in the wake of major layoffs and editorial restructuring. Yes. So all you stupid ass people who think that the coronavirus, AKA COVID is uh, caused by 5g, you still haven't won. This, this is not that. And yes, DC has killed 5g. So go back to your 4g phones and we're just going to leave technology stagnate from there. There, all of those stupid jokes out of the way. We can move on. Oy. Uh, still wear your mask, people. For goodness' sake, uh, expect more. Wildstorm returns at DC next year. So, Wildstorm alum Grifter will return to comics with um, October's Batman One One Hundred One. 
And that's not the only piece that of that uh, Moth Bailed brand that will be coming back in the coming months. In 2021, you'll see more Wildstone integration, but in a thoughtful, deliberate, creative way when it makes sense. Uh, I, this is Jim Lee saying in the Q&A um, from, in, uh, as a part of Fandom. You want to make sure all the characters in our universe exist for a reason. <laughs> yeah, right. Like they've never done that. Uh, and occupy a certain part of the spectrum in our mythology. Of course, part of that was me uh, editorializing. So you don't have a character with duplicate powers, duplicate origins, or duplicate missions. I think they're a little late for that. Grifter will be introduced. Wait, in Grifter, pretty much Red Hood. I don't remember. Kind of, sorta. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, yeah, Grifter will be so what? As opposed, to guns. he shot ray guns as opposed to guns. Oh, big difference! Yay. Um, <laughs> Grifter will be. Re- I know, I know, I know, no, I'm not, I'm, I know, but there's gun toting one, go toting two, sure. Um, Griffith will be reintroduced. Well, I mean, you also got um, Midnighter out there too, but that's, that's a whole different thing. Um, if you're just going for the gun toting set, uh, Griffith will be reintroduced. I already said that as a new hire for Lucas, Lucius Fox, who was recently revealed to be CEO of Wayne Enterprises. Well, good for him. Uh, this would be Grifter's first major DCU appearance since the end of the New 52 Futures and in 2016. Next. All right. I'm trying to read this. Uh, what you call it? This article real quick because there's a spoiler and it's a long, long article. It's kind of pain. Mm, yeah. Um, Trying to figure out who is stalking Leonardo in the latest Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Who's that beeping in my window? So, yeah, there's somebody stalking uh, Leonardo in the newest Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I, none of us are reading that, so it kind of is slightly irrelevant. But, um, no, not irrelevant, but just not something I'm that saying we can to speak us. On. I'm not right, saying exactly. in general. It's not something we can speak on with a lot of authority and knowledge. So, right. Uh, next up, uh, Transformers Escape explores the Cybertronian. So, it's Cybertron war through the through new characters' eyes. Uh, IDW Publishing has announced a new five part miniseries titled Transformers Escape, which will examine Cybertron's civil war from the viewpoint of the Autobots, Decepticons, and the innocent civilians caught in the crossfire. Okay, that last part is like, okay, that's the only new part about this because we've kind of been seeing that. Uh, written by current Transformers writer Brian Ruckley and illustrated by Bethany McGuire-Smith, the five-part Transformers Escape goes on sale in December. The series features Cybertron, Cybertron's greatest scientists, scientists, including Wheeljack, who's probably more of an engineer, engineer not scientist, but sure. Hound, who's not a scientist, and Nautica uh, attempt to reactivate the ARC program so that they can evacuate the planet with huge spaceships. The question is, with Cybertron on the verge of war, will their efforts be enough? There you go. Next. All right. Um, Brian Stelfreeze, the artist, reinvented Batman and Black Panther. Now he's taking on the CIA. Um... He is, you know, he's been in comics since uh, 1988. Um, 
And he's done uh, covers for lots of things. He's also the co-founder of 12 Gauge Comics, an imprint that published projects like Matador, which Delfries co-created with writer Devin Grayson. Uh, the company has released projects through Image Comics, but is going the crowdfunding route for new espionage action comic, Thomas River. Um, that's pretty cool. Good for him. Yeah, cool. I like Stelfreeze's art. Um, you know, his his stuff on the Black Panther's uh, most well, not most recent run, but uh, fairly recent runs has been great. And right. first, uh, which one? Well, he was doing stuff on the first uh, Coach run. Coach run. Yeah, I I've met him a couple of times. He's pretty cool. Yeah, I he was at he's been at Heroes Con a couple of times, and I want to say I got a print from him, but I'm not entirely sure. I I hoping that is the case. Because mm-hmm. uh, I know I have some prints that still that's still not uh, framed and frames that's still not, you know, that's a whole other story. That's me not you know about okay. rotate, rotate, do what I do and rotate just like a museum. Oh, I mean, just I don't take them out of them up. I need to clean up this room before I do that because I want to put it like back here on this on this other wall, which you cannot see. Uh, you know, right? So you're in the arena. Um, um, what you call it? In so Rock. I got yes, it. yes. But, Just yeah. like how I'm in the shield boardroom. Exactly, but all that in due time. Uh, next up, oh, though, war room at shield headquarters. Right? Indeed, indeed. Uh, how to find comics by woke creator Keith Knight. So Keith Knight, I did not know this that Keith Knight, the cartoonist, um, whose work I am familiar of. In fact, I got a, a couple of books on the other side on the, on, a, on a bookshelf, um, whose work I have enjoyed in the past. Also uh, co-created Woke, the the Hulu series. Um, but so this article is basically saying, hey, you know, I guess is it's basically like saying, hey, if you enjoy Woke, here's where you can find uh, his uh, previous works, to the K Chronicles and such. Which some good stuff. I'm pretty sure they're, they're probably out there on Gold Comics or one of those sites like that. Um, but yeah, like I said, I've enjoyed this stuff, and that this article will tell you where you can find more things of his if you're so inclined next up all right next up uh following runs on marvel's black panther dc's deathstroke and justice league and dynamite's vampirella veteran comic book writer christopher priest is teaming up with heavy metal for an upcoming standalone science fiction series called entropy the publisher describes the project as the story of henry hanks uh quote likable average everyman who will become responsible for destroying the world good under the influence of Keiko, uh, or Kako, um, a seemingly unstoppable chaotic force that exists throughout the multiverse, a force that he swears to destroy no matter the cost. No artist for the series has been announced. Good for him. Yeah, I... Chris, Chris Priest, a.k.a. James Owlsley, I knew, is y'all pretty cool. Stop doing that. Good gosh, let the man live. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um... But yeah, I you know I've said this many many times. But I love Priest oh, Run. Priest wait, Run. Pause, pause, pause your your praise just for a hot second. The only reason why I I bring that up is because I completely forgot that one time that I went to see Priest at uh, Connecticut's Terrificon, and I forgot to bring my Spider Man versus Wolverine, which is written by James Owsley. Mm-hmm. For him, just I forgot. Okay, sure. So I regret <laughs> not bringing it sign it that's all sure um i you know I, all the black panther stuff you know the cool black panther stuff that he did but you know uh, i would love to because i don't think he's a, I, I don't think he's ever come to heroes con not that i can remember well, uh, 
I'll say, remember, he didn't he didn't do uh, the convention circuit long, long time, and he doesn't and do he a has, whole lot. What's that? And he doesn't do a whole lot now, or or right. in recent years. Well, exactly. Like I mean, he didn't do it for a long time, and then um, recently he did. You know, he did New York. Was you know, like he had like a tough experience after one New York. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, come back but then he was supposed to come back for this year but obviously covid yeah. um or was supposed to come back no he did come back last year and obviously was going to come back again this year but right. obviously with covid we you know there's all that but he i did see him at Trificon and he was a blast to talk to right but the point is so, I don't he's as far as i know he's never done heroes con unless he's unless it was like before i started going or something which as you said you know, it's like he hasn't been it hasn't really been a whole lot before recently mm-hmm. so but anyway, like I was just going to say, hey, I love Crease from Black Python. Y'all know this. Uh, his Deathstroke Rogue is also pretty good. You should check that out. And, you know, I I did not check out his Vampire, Vampirella run because I'm not really, you know, too much into that, to that uh, jobby, uh, despite that's probably the only thing they have going for them right now. Um, which, yeah, it's kind of shade, so sorry. But I may check this out. I don't know. We'll see when it, if we get a copy of it and whatnot. I'll let you know. Uh, last but not least, uh, Dark Horse reveals new comic book prequel to popular role-playing web series Critical Role. So, yay to the critters out there! Uh, Dark Horse is continuing to span on the multi, the, excuse me, the massively possible web pos, popular web series. It's late, folks. Sorry, Critical Role. IGN uh, can exclusively reveal the first details of the latest Critical Role prequel comic dubbed. Critical Role Box Machina Origins Series 3. Uh, the latest entry in the Vox Machina Origins series reunites the full creative team from the last time around with the series creator, host Matt Mercer, co-writing with Jody Hauser, Olivia Sampson, drawing the book, and Massic Coloring, and Ariana Maher doing the lettering. So, cool. Uh, the final cover for issue one hasn't been released yet, so they'll, it'll, you'll see it when you see it. There you go. And that is it for the news. Um, I believe we have one more ad read. Our last ad read of the night is for, is to help, uh, keep our podcast free by shopping at Amazon. Visit cspn.us and click the keep our podcast free link at the top of the page. From there, scroll down and click on the Amazon link to shop. Purchase items from Amazon as you normally would, and you still are. You know it. Whether it's books, music, electronics, jewelry, apparel, or Marvel Legends Kingpin figures. For every purchase made on Amazon through our link, Amazon sends the CSPN a payment that helps us keep the Comic Book Chronicles podcast free for our listeners at no extra cost to you. Amazon.com through CSPN.us. Do it today. Yay, and as we come to a, an end of another episode of this here come Chronicles, we'd like to thank you to everyone of you for coming back as you tend to do, whether it be live or, you know, later on in audio form or video, however you uh, chalk this up. And with that, I am Rodicat. You can find me at Rodicat on Twitter. You can also find me at News News Need on Twitter. You can also find me at CB Caps on Instagram. Uh, Agent seven underscore seventy on Twitter and Instagram. And let me get away from the uh, the Amazon thing. There we go. 
uh, PCN underscore dirt on Twitter, Pop Culture Net on Twitter, popculturenetwork.com, uh, and also Byte, uh, the Vine replacement under comic reviews, no vowels. Uh, the Osiris that is ish one Tim D O G G nine eight on Twitter. Uh, CB Cron on Twitter, which is the Comic Chronicles Twitter account. You go, you know, that aforementioned stuff uh, Agent 70 said earlier about, you know, giving us uh, questions, comments, or whatever. Not. You can also put them there. Well, one of us will see it. One, Well, we'll see it at some point in time, anyway. Uh, but also, The Click Nation on Twitter. That's the K-L-I-Q-N-A-T-L-N TheClickNation.com which we need to kind of figure out trying to put some stuff back up on possibly um and also of course he tim is over at comic book resources right in his face off you can hear and or see this podcast on the coast of the podcast network uh that's cspn.us do it today you can also find us at your podcast perusal place of choice, whether it's be uh, Google Play, Apple iTunes, aka Apple Podcasts, uh, Spotify, or the Coastal Podcast Network SoundCloud page. You can find us here every Thursday night, uh, 9.30ish p.m. on the Click Nation's YouTube channel, or now on Twitch, which is uh, twitch.tv slash comic book chronicles, all one word spelled out, no underscores or anything. And we will be back next week. And yeah, we're trying to we're trying to figure out what to do with the Twitch. And obviously, you know, we're gonna have episodes of Comic Book Chronicles. Hopefully, if we can get our numbers up, we can put some more content on there. I mean, let me phrase that: we're definitely gonna put some more content on. Hopefully, one of us or some of us, I'll probably be streaming on that. Some of us, maybe some of the other guys will. But hopefully, if we get our numbers up, we can actually put some extras from the show uh, uh, up on there when they allow us to do so. So, if you don't mind following that channel, appreciate it. And with that, folks, this has been the Comic Book Chronicles. Peace. Peace, one. Wakanda forever!